Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I am joined today, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, my business partner, the the whiskey wizard himself. Aha! Is that what... Wait, wait a second. Is that what a wizard says? A wizard just says, aha, like you've... Like you figured it no, out. No, I just al- I always have Alan Partridge to the forefront of my brain. And so <laughs> any introduction has me saying, aha, uh-huh. knowing me, knowing you, aha. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, I'm Joshua Hatton, knowing me, knowing you. Oh, wait, how, wait, how does he Jason do it? Johnson. <laughs> knowing me, Alan Partridge, knowing, knowing you, you, then whatever their name is, aha. Aha, aha. It's so good. Search, dear listener, spend as much time as you can trawling YouTube for Alan Partridge clips. Oh my Your gosh. time will be well rewarded. Let me tell you, Jason. So, uh, this, this, you know what? This is probably October um, or November where Haida and I uh, watched the Alan Partridge movie. I've seen it mm-hmm. many times, but she hadn't. And she was just laughing her ass off. And I said, oh, you like that? All right, let's do this one. And then this one. And then this one. Oh. And that's the takeaway, right? The movie is okay. Yeah. If you know the Alan Partridge oeuvre, yeah. the movie from a, a couple of years ago, a few years ago, yeah. is, is okay. But when you go back in the archives, good grief. There's ah. so much wonderful Alan Partridge. Yeah, and it's... A it, man yeah. out of time. Indeed. And it's just wonderful, cringe comedy. Right? That That's what it is. Yeah. I'm just on the edge of my seat, cringing, waiting for him to be stupid and say something stupid. And then he comes back in spades, even worse than I ever expected. <laughs> Talking about saying something stupid and being stupid... You and I, oh boy! Just the uh, just the other day on MLK Junior Day, mm-hmm. you and I travelled three and a half, four hours to a uh, a centralised meeting spot. Yes, uh, a spot on the Earth halfway between where we both currently reside, mm-hmm. and and on my drive home after seeing you and you know elbow. I don't even know what the movement is called. Chicken winging. That makes it yeah, sound like we did something winging. in a public lavatory. I'm not sure I would say that out loud again. Um, but you and I, uh, dunting elbows, if you will. I think we should call it flip-flapping. <laughs> I'm definitely not going to say right? I chicken winged you the last time I saw cause you. Because you go up and down like a wing does a flip-flap. So on on my journey home, I popped in our year in review podcast episode. All right. And and the thing I've been saying to, to anybody who's reached out and saying to you and, and, and saying it again now is I could not have enjoyed myself more during the recording. Of that episode, mm-hmm. just you know, we'd, we'd made it to the end of 2020, a very, very, very tough year, and we just got to sit down, not worry about the next meeting, not worry about the next email, and just pop corks and just chat. And and I have to say that in listening to it on the drive back down the road, yeah, I 
I enjoyed listening to it almost as much as I enjoyed recording it. Obviously, on the drive back, there was no imbibing, there was no popping corks <laughs> on the way back down the road. Uh -huh. But but just the conversation and, and the thing we've said to to our dear listeners for a long, long time is the conversations that get recorded and make it into our podcast are the same conversations you and I just simply have. Yep. And my my deep, deep concern is you and I are now so busy that we're having fewer and fewer of those types of conversations. Mm -hmm. And I really got the sense in listening back to the year in review episode that I was just so happy to have, we recorded four hours of, of material, <laughs> but to, mm -hmm. I was just so happy to have four hours to sit with you and just chat, just have one of our chats over some drams. And, and I was really happy to hear that that came through in the recording. And so knowing you know how special our listeners are, knowing how often we talk about our listeners, knowing that they get to hear genuine conversations between you and me yeah. makes me really happy with what we're doing with One Nation Under Whiskey as we have our eye on the calendar as we move towards the conclusion of our fourth season doing this. You have perfected the art of Jewish grandmotherly guilt. Oh boy. By by oh boy. by well, well, the good news is I'm not intending it, so if that counts for anything. By delivering the news of, oh, I had such a great time, and it was so good because we get such a short amount of time to spend together, and the hidden message behind that is, wouldn't it be nice to just get back there if only, and, and it's being pushed in my direction, and, and I'm just saying, I, that did not go oh, unnoticed. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let me, let me let me add to that. In that case, I don't have time. Like, if you were reaching out, hey, Jason, you want to get a dram, you want to yeah. hang out on FaceTime, I'd be like, let me check the calendar. How does March look for you? Yes. Um, yes. Right? Yeah, and so that's why I'm not putting, I'm not just sitting here twiddling my thumbs thinking, oh, I wish Joshua Hatton would call me up for a dram. <laughs> it really is a case of we're both so damn busy that, I wish we could do this more, but I, I don't know where the time is, but that's that's not what I wanted to get into. What I did want to say was, of course, thank you. I enjoyed that episode. <laughs> Hopefully listeners enjoyed it as well. But in terms of genuine conversations, mm -hmm. there's a person who we know very well mm -hmm. and another person who we know a little bit well. And we've, we've certainly you know, known for a good number of years. Indeed. And when we sit down with the inimitable Mark Watt, we just, we just have a chat. Mm -hmm. We just have a whiskey chat with him. And, and I'm going to put the cart before the horse here. We sat and recorded maybe two hours, two and a quarter hours with... With the what was it something like that? You you remember yeah, the audio yeah, better than it, I do. It it was <laughs> it was exactly one hour fifty eight minutes and about twelve seconds. Okay, okay, so so two hours, right? So we had a two hour chat with the Watts as they were in their house in Campbelltown. You were in your office in 
Connecticut and I was in my office in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And, and, and why I'm putting the cart before the horse here is when we reached the end of that time together, I had said to Kate, it's amazing that we've known each other for, you know, what's the number? Eight, eight years on that? Six years on that? Mm, yeah. Something in that vicinity, yeah, six to right? Eight. Yep. Right? I've never had the opportunity to just sit down and have that length of conversation with Kate. Same. And yeah. it was wonderful learning more about Kate and Kate's backstory. And, you know, I know she's been very well established in the whiskey industry, mm-hmm. getting even back to university and subject and then coming on board with Springbank and being there at the same time as people we know and and like a lot and and consider friends like you and Mitchell Mm -hmm. and David Stark and and having those kind of points of commonality Um, and then just seeing where she is now with with what whiskey and Campbelltown Whiskey Company and of course it's always wonderful to sit down with Mark but what a real treat to get to spend that extended time with Kate for really the very first time. It was, it was a treat. Um, Cause yeah, same, right. When, whenever you and I are with Mark or Mark and Kate, it's always you and I, we were, we're not separated. So like you, I, I did not have a chance to just sit down and talk with Kate until then. And, and it was lovely. And, I mean, I'm I'm saying this in a joking way, but but I really think of them as this whiskey power couple, right? It's like yeah, for sure, right? It's like M Kate or Kate M, or you know, I, I can't, <laughs> but you, you know what I mean? It's it's in. I'm trying to think of other sort of whiskey power couples out there, right? Uh, Han, Hans Afringa and Becky Afringa, right? These yeah. these two people yeah, that you know one. as as a combination. Right. And is and their careers up until this company is all while in whiskey has always been separate and now they get to enjoy it together. I, I will tell you Matt and Karen with the Whiskey for Everyone blog ah, and point. kind of yeah. what they've built out yeah. of that. Yep. Um and the, the reason I got to Matt and Karen was I was thinking not of a married couple, but really a, a couple of chaps who are in a similar boat to us where they've just kind of become known as a, a, a whiskey, a professional whiskey couple, <laughs> is Neil and Joel of the old Cask Strength blog. Yep, that's And a good kind point. of what they've gone on to do with their writing. And we've been talking a lot about the Water of Life movie. And there's Neil and Joel in the Water of Life movie. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I think of them in, in the same way that I think of you and I. And you just said this a moment ago. You know, when you and I hang out with people, it really is you and I. There's not a lot of one or the other of us <laughs> will will go to Scotland yeah. or go on business. Um, it's it's really both of us, and so it's it's kind of weird being thought of as a a, a professional whiskey couple. Wow. At least Kate and Mark are married. Yeah, yeah, and there's no you know benefits that I that I have. Uh, been granted yet in this in this friendship? I can't believe you would say that after being chicken winged. That's <laughs> uh, that's hurtful. I, I I'm starting to think chicken winging means more to me than it does to you. 
Oh, gosh. Where is that in, like, you know, first base, second base, third base? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. All, <laughs> all the kids are talking about it. <laughs> As but, the kids say. <laughs> uh, and then it just turns into uh, uh, an Abbott and Costello skit. <laughs> who's on the chicken wing? <laughs> yeah, who's on the chicken wing? Naturally. Anyway, so so speaking yes, speaking yes. of Mark and Kate, yes. it was so lovely having the two of them on the podcast. Like you, like you had said, uh, it was a long conversation, and I barely edited any of it because it was, like you had said, it was just a lovely conversation to listen back to. Um, I left in one or two of your ums, one or two of my ums, but what are you going to do? I think I'm going to go over to Mark and Kate. I think that's a wise decision. What the what? This is, this is, well, first off, welcome to the Watt family. Or two, two, two of the Watts within the Watt family. Thank you. Uh, the good Mark and the good Kate. And I was, I was trying to think earlier on. Now, Kate, I know this is your second time on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, though, you're, though your first time without child, which is, which is good, so you can drink with us. Yeah, and the um, first time you've actually given me a microphone. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, I was hoping you weren't going to bring that up on recording. Yeah, of oh. <laughs> How good is that? Second time on the on the podcast, but first time with a microphone. Yeah, yeah but I mean, I was really good at sharing the microphone the last time. <laughs> yes, I hope nobody goes back to listen to that episode to see just how good you were. Yeah, at I maybe said a couple of things. Yeah, I think anyway. you had, I think you had gravity against you, Mark. Your chair kept on floating to the other side of the yes. office. That was a fun day. Mm-hmm. It was. That was a good takeover. And Mark, I think this this now may mark your fourth time on the podcast. Yes. That is correct. But you're nobody's f- even close to that. I know. I, I, I think I think there's been a few threes, a few threes. Some someone caught up with me the other week, and I was like, I need to go back again because if um, well, Broomy's been on twice. Mm-hmm. Yes, he has. Um, Starkey's been on twice. Yep. Yes, he has. Uh, Chilton. Uh, Ollie, Ollie, has he not yep. been on three times? I think he's twice. He's twice. Twice. Yeah, I think you're running away with it, Mark. Mm-hmm. You are, you're a trendsetter on One Nation Under Whiskey. <laughs> it's just you know that I'll be awake when you're doing these things, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> and just think, we've given Mark a mic every time. You know, we just don't learn from our mistakes. No, you really don't. There was the also the other one which never got published that we did with Gordon and oh. Dash and at Maltstock. I was going to say, was there not a Maltstock one? Yeah. <laughs> For the record, I'm the only person who's listened to that raw audio. And it's true. I spent an hour did you need and a therapy half afterwards. Oh my god, it, it was mental. It was absolutely mental. I. I was driving back from Dulles Airport to my house one Sunday morning, actually, and Joshua had sent me the raw audio and said, hey, let me know what you think. (laughs) And I listened to every second. 
And it was absolute garbage. <laughs> and it was just I s- drunken 3 a.m. ramblings at malt stock. And so. I sent it to I sent it to Jason. A not having listened to it, but B knowing it was absolute garbage. But I hoped that he might found a nug- you know, he might find a nugget in there. <laughs> Did you find any nuggets? Was there was there anything, Jason? The the Sam Simmons cameo, I mm-hmm. I really appreciate appreciated that, but it didn't amount to anything. As soon as I heard Sammy at the door with a guitar, I thought, oh, this is going to take a turn for the for the better, and then it didn't. <laughs> and you know, yeah. he he wasn't alone in that. So. I, I remember Gordon and I thinking, we've nailed this. <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember you coming home from Maltstock and telling me about it. <laughs> oh yeah, we did an interview for one Lisa. That'd be brilliant. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I do. We still have the audio. I need to listen back to it. No, you don't. You're no, welcome I, to share it with Mark Watt. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Kate, make sure you've got something yeah, on when Mark listens to that yeah, one. Exactly. Send them. Send them off to the gym or walk around the harbour. It'll surprise you to hear that I have listened to Mark's drunk ramblings quite regularly. (laughs) (laughs) Where was it? Normally I'm in the room. No, there was one time I was away working and you phoned me up because you were walking home from the Highlander to Dufton. So this is about five miles and it was about four in the morning. And I think I did actually stay on the phone to him the whole time just... To make sure he didn't fall in a ditch or something on the way home. <laughs> I can't remember where I was. Oh yeah, you weren't even in the country. No, no, I was away, like on a tour somewhere. I was oh away gosh. working in a random hotel room somewhere. That was in the early How days awful. of our relationship. Nowadays I just like turn my phone on mute when he's away. Was this How oh, often God. do they do they pull people out of the Campbelltown harbour? Uh, not that often. Not that often. Although my brother's twenty first, a man came out the sea. Oh, a I man r- came out the sea. Yeah, I like the way that's phrased. <laughs> <laughs> a man came out the sea. Well, was he a merman? No, he was I, a drunk Campbeltonian. No, he wasn't local. I don't know where he came from. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. Oh, those out of towners are the worst. No, because my mum and dad's house is right next to the loch, and we were all having a basement party and this guy appeared at the basement soaking wet having just come out the law <laughs> so my brother it was a, my brother's 21st and he's like oh yeah I'm sure like just come and sleep in the living room or whatever but he very kindly like woke up my friend who was sleeping in the living room and told her to go and sleep in one of the bedrooms upstairs so that there weren't any like no girls were having to nobody else was having to sleep in the room with this random man <laughs> so that Swamp Thing could get his head down for the night. Yeah. Did, yeah. did you Mom have to keep him in salt water to keep his, his fins from drying out? Or I don't know. Mum came down in the morning to find a naked man on the couch and a set of jeans with a screwdriver in it going round and round in the tumble dryer, which was broken, so it was still soggy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure this is going to be of great interest yeah. to the and listeners then, of and, One and Nation then, under And then when your mum woke him up, did you not just crack a tin of lager and then walk off? Or no, she offered him a cup of tea or something. And he went, oh, oh, uh, oh lager would be good if you go. 
Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's magnificent. Campbelltown living. Oh, yeah. I love it. Love it. So, so I was fairly um, you know, sophisticated when I came on the scene. Which, that's a statement that, oh, there's a lot of context attached to that statement. Mum mm. did still need subtitles for about the first three years that we were together because she couldn't understand you, though. <laughs> it's okay, I've got my posh voice on. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Did, didn't you say that about the first episode that you recorded with us? And I, I, Josh and I, we, we always forget, we always go back and forth on this. Maybe the third ever episode of One Nation Under Whiskey was, see, fourth. Is it the third? Is it the fourth? Mark Watt says the third as well. Well, um, well you guys are talking. I'm going to check the worldwide network. Machine. Yeah, no, but the, fir- the first one was a pilot, so it doesn't count as an actual episode. Uh... <laughs> so you're saying the first one was ep- ep- episode zero? Yeah. Gosh, how long Let's was see. the first episode? 40 minutes? With so 20 minutes or 17 minutes you ready for dedicated this? to Stirk. Oh, this is so funny. I'm looking at our website here, and the picture of us with David Stirk is upside down. Yes, uh, I've told you this before. All right, so that's episode one. Episode two at this, was... At this point, there's no point changing it. Episode two was Brian Davis with Lost Spirits Distillery. Okay. Episode three was a post-Whiskey Jubilee Seattle event. Episode okay. four... Was Mark Watt? There you go. There you go. We have an answer. But calling Stark the pilot—that's <laughs> that's damning with faint praise, right there. Oh, I was man. actually quite annoyed um, listening, not annoyed, but listening to David's first episode because everything he answered, I pretty much was answering the same. So you could have just. Um, you know, done my episode, but with a Scottish accent, and most of the most of the answers would have been the same. Well, it's funny you bring that up. Then you're the first Scotsman we interviewed on One Nation Under Whiskey. There you go. Well, there you go. Look at that. <laughs> and without <laughs> subtitles. Difficult to <laughs> subtitle podcasters. And this is why I bring this up. You had said that was your telephone voice on that recording. Wow. And you, you must have been exhausted by the end. Oh, of it. You, you just your cheeks are sore with having to enunciate. <laughs> so, so sound like a BBC newsreader. What, what I'm hearing here is, Mark, not only were you the the first Scotsman on the internet uh, way back when the internet had started, uh, but you were the first Scotsman on One Nation Under Whiskey podcast. Look at that! Look at that! Well Look done. You. He only blazes trails. <laughs> so, all right. I need to reel us back in because we may never, <laughs> we may never, we may never have a whiskey conversation if I don't. So this is this is now Mark's fourth time on the podcast. Kate's second time on the podcast. First time with a mic. First time without baby. Mm-hmm. But you both combined your first time as business owners, as as joint uh, owners of Campbelldown Whiskey Company, which yeah. is the owner of Watt Whiskey. Yes. We're very excited to have you on board. Now, I'm going to throw out a question there, which may be, it may be really general, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Because this is very recent, probably fresh in your mind. What's it like starting an independent bottling company? And what happened that maybe you didn't expect 
to happen. Very briefly, and Mark will probably expand on this, like, it was actually a lot easier than we expected. It was really difficult. It was, yeah, it was really <laughs> difficult. And it took from, but everything went relatively kind of as planned and it was all quite good. Um, the unexpected thing is that we haven't killed each other yet, working together for a year now. Yeah, just over a year. Um, wow. We're still getting on. Like, there's no divorce looming. <laughs> it's all like it's all been quite. It's been quite good. Yeah. Um, we. That was probably one of the things that's like, mm, how is actually like working together mm. with kids, like working from home. Initially, I mean, obviously this was all before the pandemic, but it was also before we had an office premises. So we were going to be working from home. And that was a kind of, oh God, are we going to end up like killing each other and falling out sure. and whatever. But I did think initially I wasn't sure how much input you would have. I thought you might like, to begin with, do all the nice stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, um you know, setting up the branding and the, the making things look pretty, well, not that you can make me look pretty, but... <laughs> no, you know, I mean, there's limits. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're talented, so but... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah the kind of branding. And, and then you might, like, fade away, but it's been really good that, like, you're involved fully. Yeah. Um, You're not, like, it is a joint business. It's not, oh, yeah, well, it's mine, but you I, the, do bits and pieces. My name's so, on the, yeah. like, thing at Company's House or whatever. It's actually been really nice because I've been away from work for the last like five years because I pretty much stopped working when we had Zach yeah um, Zach six Zach six okay so six years um, wow. I mean I was <laughs> no doing, one's counting 2020 no, I was doing bits <laughs> yeah, exactly. and pieces I was doing yeah it's written off um <laughs> you know I was doing a bit of kind of like whiskey tours and tastings in Campbelltown during Maltz Festival and I was involved a bit in the Maltz Festival through my explore Campbelltown stuff, but I'd been away from the kind of circuit and away from the mm. industry for kind of five, six years. So it's actually been really nice getting back and speaking to consumers again, speaking to distributors. Um, Realising that we're the older people are on the circuit these days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in my head, I'm still that kind of like 20s thing. So it's a bit yeah. scary when you realise that you're like the old grey haired people that <laughs> we were there when we started. Yeah. So, so. Some of us have had that since our 20s. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to wander too far away. I want to stay focused on this answer. But just for a moment, just when you talk about being away from the industry and coming back to the industry, can you tell our listeners, Kate, about your, your whiskey career before you went off to have Zach and then Joe? Yeah, so I started at Springbank, which is now like literally, we live literally across the road. Um Straight out of uni, my first real job was at Springbank Distillery. I had no idea that jobs in the whiskey industry like, existed. Hmm. This was the... <laughs> um, I'd studied languages at uni and mum had heard, as you do in small towns, that the girl that was working at Springbank was leaving because there was too much travel involved. Hmm. And right. I was like, ooh, ooh, travel. <laughs> Hello. And... She spoke languages and whatever, so I sort of randomly phoned them up and basically said, um, I've got a languages degree. Are you looking for anyone in the export department? And they went, yeah, funnily enough, we are. Um, send us your CV. And I had an interview with Ewan Mitchell in a pub in Glasgow. 
because I was just like finishing you. up uni. Yeah. And um, <laughs> got the job. Because I like, I was living in Glasgow at the time, 21, 22. I was like, I really don't want to move back to Campbelltown because I grew up here. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, Campbelltown. Like, I was wanting to go to, kind of, I don't know, France or Spain or go travelling. Or, oh, do I really want to move back to Campbelltown? I was like, well, it's a job. You know, I'll maybe do it for a year and a half, get some experience, and then like, I can move somewhere more exciting. And actually, like, I just loved it. You know, the whole, the industry, the travelling, everything about it, I just loved the job. Mm-hmm. So I ended up staying for, I think it was six years, was it, at Springbank? I don't know. Sure. Anyway, I know. <laughs> it's your career. Yeah, Mark. Like, what? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, what? When about would that have been? When, so when, what I, year were you being interviewed by you? Two thousand and two. I started at Springbank. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, okay. And then it's only a couple of years before even he was out the door. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I think it was. Yep. I think it was. A, I'd been there a year when you and left. There you go. So you would have been who you were working with, Sturdy, Mitchell. Yeah, I was at the time when I started at Springbank. David Stark was working at Cadenhead, uh, so we okay. had some good. Nights out in Campbelltown. Um, <laughs> Ewan Gunn had just left. David was there. Ewan Mitchell was my boss at Springbank. And then he left. And I was... Whatever on, became of him. I know. <laughs> and then I was on my own for a bit at Springbank doing entire world wow. sales and marketing, which was fun. Um, so anyway, then Mark and I got together. He was working at Duncan Taylor. I was working year mm-hmm. and um George Grant offered me a job pretty much so I moved up to Speyside to Glen Farkless mm-hmm. again kind of sales and market mainly Europe South America that kind of area okay and then after I'd moved to Speyside Mark got a job at Cadenet <laughs> <laughs> um, just when you so, thought you'd escaped Campbelltown I know So I must be like one of the only people That's actually moved back to Campbelltown twice <laughs> I can only imagine the strings Your mum is pulling behind the scenes <laughs> I know probably you know? actually I, just, I don't know what keeps happening Kate But oh we love it when you move yeah. back to the tune She didn't used to play tennis With the, one of the directors of Springbank Yeah she did before, before I got the, the job <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Causation or correlation? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, it was it was a great job. Like all the the whiskey festivals, doing all the traveling, tastings, mm-hmm. was really a, great. You did a lot of traveling with Glen Farkless. I did a lot. I spent a oh, lot of time in France, which was brilliant. Um, I was probably in France like once a month, once every couple of months for like a week at a time or so. So I was over like maybe six weeks, oh, okay. six okay. weeks a year yeah. in France. Um, talk, I think, talk to us a little tiny bit about the South American market. It, it's a market I really know nothing about. Yeah, I didn't know that much about it either, to be honest. Um, I talked, <laughs> talked John Grant into letting me develop South America. Or I'd been asked to develop South America and I managed to talk John into letting me go on a um, kind of Don't recce. Jolly. No, I was going to say like a kind of recce market. It's history now. Market research trip. Um, it was tied in with like the Scottish government does this Scottish development international trips where they kind of part fund um, visits to different export markets to try and help 
businesses open up mm. different markets. Okay. So they were organising something to Brazil, which I went on to Sao Paulo and then kind of went over, I'd got as a new distributor in Chile and one in Peru. So kind of went over up to them and then to Argentina. We had a, somebody that wanted to be an importer there. Mm-hmm. Um, so went and met them. But it was really just kind of starting up. Um, okay. I think that, was that the year before I left? Yeah, I think it was. So I'd kind of got the distributors in place. That was the kind of first trip over to like get staff training in place and kind of meet the distributors properly. Mm. Um, but it was brilliant. That's really great. I mean, fantastic, fantastic. opportunities um, working for Glen Farkless and for Springbank. I mean, we met in Japan because we were both over there working. We we have that story on wax. To keep it in the recording. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recommend any listener who's not familiar with this story on how the two of you met to go back to the malt stock recording uh, with Mark Watt. Yeah. That is a great story. So, so it was after South America that you you hung up your hat. You're pregnant with Zach and and decided to to take a yeah, break so from the industry. 2014. Mark, at the time you were working from home, working from home for Cadenheads, okay. but from Speyside. and we decided like we couldn't both do the jobs we were doing with the amount of traveling we were both doing and have. A small child that just wasn't gonna mm-hmm. wasn't gonna work. So we moved back to Campbelltown. I stopped work for a while. Um, you then started working in the office yeah. for Cadenheads, and um, those six years have just passed in a blink. Yeah, <laughs> like just the time has disappeared. But it, I mean, it it did work out all right. Like moving down here, the Cadenheads job for me was. A bit of travel, but it was nothing like I used to do at Duncan Taylor. No, and no. Like when I was at Duncan Taylor, you were at Linfartless or Springbank, and we were both travelling a lot, which meant it worked because it wasn't one of us stuck at home, yeah. whilst the other one was mm. travelling all the time. And so you knew that you know, there's a couple of times we bumped into each other at airports. Yeah, um, <laughs> I can imagine. Or like managed to grab a coffee together at Aberdeen as one of us was flying in and the other one was flying out. That's amazing. Was, um, that is absolutely amazing. <laughs> it was good though because we both did the same job. Like you understood that, yeah, okay, you're away traveling a lot with work, but it's not always a jolly. It's good mm-hmm. fun, but it's yeah. hard work as well. Mm-hmm. And you come home and you just don't want to speak to anybody because you've yes. been speaking to people for like a week. And being uh-huh. nice and chatty, and uh, and you get home and you just don't want to speak to anybody. So yeah. fortunately, because we both did the same job, <laughs> like you could come home and be like, "How was your trip?" Yeah, fine. And like just like, <laughs> sit, survived. Sit oh and read a gosh. book or watch the television or whatever. Whereas like, you know, my mum wanted my to know. My like, mum's the same. Both our parents like. <laughs> And where did you go? And where did you go to eat? And who did you see? And what were you doing? And they want the whole itinerary. And it's like, oh, just. Yeah, I was I was in Binnie's. Does that yeah. mean anything to you? Yeah. No. Well, like, <laughs> how was your trip? Yeah, it was good. That's all they need to know. But no, it's like a lot of questions. Yeah. I used to get so that a lot you... on the the flight from 
uh, London to Aberdeen, you know, you maybe just flown in from Tokyo or America or whatever, and you're on the last leg, and then you get some granny jean that's been down to visit their daughter or their granddaughter or whatever, <laughs> wanted to speak to you the whole, and you're just like, oh. Yeah, you're so done. You're so done. (laughs) I always sat with my Kindle like in front of my face and just like read and didn't speak, like didn't make eye contact with anybody. The worst worst I've had on an airplane was I was watching something on my iPad and a German woman next to me started touching my iPad and said, "Are they twins?" (laughs) Oh my goodness! (laughs) Thank you, madam. Well. Is the craze, but uh, <laughs> why are you watching porn on a plane? That's what I want. <laughs> I know that's in really poor taste. <laughs> wasn't um, even subtitles. Yeah. yeah, I'm always perplexed by people. I bored with my my AirPods or my earbuds in my ears, and then I sit down and I you know busy myself. It's when people will talk to you despite what's in your ears. Yeah. I'm just like this. Oh, this is going to be bad today. I'm going to have to go to sleep <laughs> um, or just sit here for five hours with my eyes They'll shut, wake you up. Which I have done. I've, I've been woken up from a sleep with, with things on someone asking me a question. Not, not, could you get out of the way so I can go to the toilet? Just asking me some dumb question that they could have... <laughs> bothered someone who had their eyes open but nope it was, it was me um i, I want i want to get back oh, hashtag we're all sharing first world problems <laughs> yeah, right? Totally. Right? oh i hate it when people are friendly oh, oh, gosh, oh, they're the talk. worst i i want i want to get back to what whiskey and oh, yeah. Kate, yeah you remember that uh yeah. kate you you'd said something that intrigued me where you'd said you're surprised working together as a couple. You, you haven't you haven't killed one another, and then yeah. now now let's add on the fact. Let's add on this other wrinkle where you talk about you're talking all the time, all the time, all the time. Like now, you guys from morning until night are not separated, and so. <laughs> I understand that you're not divorced. You you both look very happy, but I'm curious. Just do you do you have a clear distinction of this is how we interact when we're at work, this is how we interact when we're not working, and you just sort of wear different hats, or is it just no life? Um, That's a good question. I'll let you answer that. We don't really have like. We don't have set times where we work. <laughs> I mean, yeah, okay. Sorry, I assumed you guys were either, working. But... This is, uh, that tosses my whole question no, like, out the window. I mean, the pandemic has, like, even more added to that because we'd got ourselves sorted with an office premises and the idea was, like, you know, one of us would maybe be able to go into the office, the other one would be at home with Joe, Zach would be at school. It would all kind of, you know, we could take turn about or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then with lockdown and not being able to go to the office and homeschool or whatever, it's just like everything just blurs together. So you're just kind of, oh, have you done that? Oh, no, shit, I've not done it. Mm. Um, right, I need to get that done. But it, like we've ended up kind of doing different things anyway yeah. in the business. But mm-hmm. like we'll be, because we're not strict about anything, like it's not like, right, 
we need to go and sit in the office from nine to five just to prove that we were working. <laughs> you yeah. know, if there's stuff to do, we'll get it done at some point. And like we do sometimes work at nine, ten o'clock at night when the kids are in bed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But only if we have to do something. And it's different doing emails and stuff for your own business at nine, ten o'clock at night rather than doing it for someone else. But mm-hmm. also when you've not done anything during the day because you're like, oh, it's sunny, we'll go out. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. we'll go for a walk. And I think one of the things that's been quite good is like, well, more so when Zach was at school, like we'd maybe be out for a walk with the pram and we could just chat like random business stuff as we're pushing the pram. You've got, you know, walking along the front of the loch and you're like, oh yeah, we need to take some photos of this or, uh, you know, do you think we should bottle the Kalila or the Kalila as it would appear? Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it's, um, it's, but it's not been sitting around the kitchen table and it's only work, work, work. Mm. No, Which, it's been very kind of, it's all mixed in with kind of daily life. the pandemic, it'd be very easy because that's the only thing we've got other than, you know. <laughs> we have two small children. No, but like, <laughs> we've got two small children, it's, but it's, it's not like we're like, all right, you were out with your friends last night, what was that? Or, you know, no. you know did you watch something on the telly? Well, yeah, because yeah. I was watching it with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. Um, so it's actually, it's been amazingly good. Yeah, it has been pretty good. And the other thing that's been good, actually, with the two of us being involved in the business and doing the business is, like, doing online tastings and Zoom tastings and things. Mm-hmm. It's actually a lot easier when the two of us do it and we can be almost chatting to each other rather mm-hmm. than just mm-hmm. kind of presenting to a screen. It feels a bit more natural, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it also means that when we finish, we're both there. Because that's one of the things I've found really quite depressing with the Zoom tastings of that. Mm-hmm. It's because, well, you know me, like you and Kate's the same, you do a tasting and then you finish the tasting and you go and have a few more drinks with people. Or you have a pint mm-hmm. or, you no, you yeah. mingle afterwards. But now you finish the Zoom tasting, bloop, put the laptop down and you're like, oh, I'm at home by myself. It's, yeah. Uh-huh. it's a yeah. bit flat. Because yeah. um, uh-huh. like when you do a good tasting, you're buzzing. Correct. And even like a decent Zoom tasting, you're you're like quite hey, and then you're like, ah. yeah, But I think it's normally you associate the tastings the kind of warm up part. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but then the, then you go out for dinner with the shopkeeper, or you then you yeah, know, go you out for go drinks for, with some of the people, or it's you know you end up in somebody's basement or. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Whether you want to or not, yeah. is that how that one goes? Ball you gag in included box or not? In the base of someone's bed, you know, it depends where in the world you're doing your tasting. That's, yeah, uh, yeah. Joshua and I have done it where we've we've concluded a, a Zoom tasting and then immediately called one another back, and then you know run off and grabbed a beer and just sat and had a beer and kind of decompressed because there's no way I can go from a Zoom tasting in my office shutting the laptop across the hallway to my bed and then lie down and go to sleep. Got on yeah. like there's just yep. no way that's happening. I, I always remember when I when I was young and I worked behind the bar at the Kregelke Hotel, I would, um, like, fairly soon into it, I was lock-up manager, so I finished my shift when the last guest went to bed. Mm. And mm. we had a 24-hour licence, hotel licence, so like, it was brilliant because it used to be at the stage where when people were checking in to the hotel, I generally know what time they would go to their bed. They're like, ah, you're a one o'clock or you're a two o'clock or ah, you're five in the morning. Uh, you know. 
Um, but like even was know, that was that the mirror? In <laughs> <laughs> <And> you, sir. <laughs> oh no! no. Um, and like quite often, I'd come home. I'm still living at home with mum, and and come home at three, four, or four in the morning, five in the morning, mm-hmm. and like go and watch a bit of telly or something. And mum's like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "Well, I can't yeah. just like switch straight off." Especially not since you'd been mainlining espresso through yeah. your whole shift. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh. No, it's not like I had to drive home, so I couldn't drink. No. uh... (laughs) But espresso, holy moly. So you guys are, you're on your second release now? Yes. Yeah, we're planning the third one. Yes. Uh, But we've had, we have released two releases so far. So I've got, I've got. Two questions for you. The, f- the first question uh, is pointed a, a, a bit more towards Mark, and, and then we'll we'll get to the second one. So, question number one for you: Having come from Caddenheads, you you had access to over a hundred distilleries in stock that had been accumulating for for decades, right? And and now you're starting from scratch. How does selecting whiskeys for what whiskey differ from selecting what you did with Caddenhead, selecting for Caddenheads? Completely different, um, but much easier at the same time. Hmm. Uh, in a strange way. Like, working for Duncan Taylor before they had huge stocks, working for Caddenheads, phenomenal stocks. You know, the quality and quantity that you had to pick from was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um and to have that now would be phenomenal, actually. It was much easier <laughs> being an independent butler yeah. with other people's money. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. You know, and other people's foresight, having the casks laid down before. Or as I used to joke, the fact that David Sirk didn't manage to sell them. So when he was at Canheads, <laughs> meant that we had lots of good stuff left. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it is different because there's a lot of pressure on picking your own stuff. Mm. Like obviously, we've not got the access to Banffs and, you know, I was going to say stuff <laughs> that we've bottled, so that's ridiculous. Um, you know, Springbanks and... Glenvore. Glenvore yeah. and, and all these kind of things. Um, you know, I mean, I, I had a quick squint through the Malt Whiskey Yearbook when it came in, and I was looking at... Someone asked me a similar question. I was like, I think there's 110 different Scottish distilleries I've been involved with the bottling mm-hmm. of hmm. over Amazing. the last two two companies. And now we've done what, ten, um, but it is it is more difficult because we don't have stocks, historic stocks to buy from. Mm-hmm. But it, in some ways, when I said it was easier, what I mean by that is, well, we've got nothing. It's not like we've bottled an inch scour before. So the first time we bottle an inch scour, it's the first time. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so everything that we've we may not have access to the same amount of stuff, but what we do have access to is the first time we've had access to it. Mm. Um, I know that's a kind of back to front way of saying no, it. I get, I get it, yeah. Um, but, I mean, there was also a lot of... I put a lot of pressure on myself with the releases, I think, because having worked for Duncan Taylor and then Caddenheads and the, the quality of stuff that we were releasing at Caddenheads, you know, it's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And you worry that people were going to expect too much from what whiskey. Yeah, like maybe uh, expect you to yeah. have access to the same... To the same stocks. And to be honest, 
we've been offered, like you guys have been offered, I mean, mm. uh, <laughs> stocks of lots of things, but we've not done an imperial or anything like you guys, but, you know, maybe someday in the future we'll be another 10, 11 years' time. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's, there was a little bit of a worry that people might expect too much because they would think, I'd have that access or have that thing, but we yeah. don't have 175 years of history, uh, you know, to build up that stock portfolio or whatever. Um, so it has been different, but in a way, it's possibly got me excited about whiskey again, which mm-hmm. interesting. I've always have been excited about whiskey, always loved yeah. whiskey, but you kind of you kind of can go through a bit of. Ah, oh, well, we'll just have another thirty-year-old something, or ah, oh, I, I suppose because you were doing we've, so we've, many releases of yeah, and you're like, oh, we've got a young one here; it's an eighteen-year-old, or you know, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, and it's kind of been quite nice to just look at things and looking through lists, and you know, some of the things we've been looking through stock lists, cast lists, and you've maybe not been that excited about it, and I've been like, oh, an inch gower, or um. Mm. I was a manic more because I just skimmed over that completely. It just wasn't on my radar. Oh, um, but just had my second radar. dram of that just now. So okay. good. So good. And you've actually just led right into, I was going to try and squeeze in another question before we came back to Joshua's second and, and give him some ch- chance to remember what it was. <laughs> Philosophically, you've released a manic more, you've released an inch gower. It seems to me that the... The independent buying bottling, the independent bottling buying community, are all looking for the same things. They and you mentioned one of them earlier, right? They're they're looking for your Ard Beg, they're looking for your Talisker, they're looking for your Lafroig, they're looking for your Macallan, and we all know that those are big, big asks. But one of the things Josh and I have always talked about is, as an independent bottler, we should be able to come to you and say, "Here's a distillery you've never heard of." And you're going to love it. Mm-hmm. And so you just said a moment ago, Kate, looking over that list, where you just skim right over the top of Manic Moore, there's that concern that somebody who would buy a bottle of whiskey from you may do the same thing on a shelf. Mm-hmm. Where's, and this is why it's the philosophical question, is, is where do you both lie on that spectrum of sexy names that grab eyeballs and standing squarely behind an unknown distillery and getting consumers to pay attention to it. The name isn't that important. Like it's about what's actually in the bottle. Mark's been mm-hmm. saying this for years, but you know, I would much rather bottle a really good whiskey from a relatively unknown distillery than bottle something meh, but that would sell because it was from a big name. And I think yep. it's, yep. for us, it is about trying to find good drinking whiskey that we would want to buy, that we would want to share with friends, and at a price that we're, comfortable. we're comfortable with charging. Yeah, like, that's important. You know, we've, yep. I'm sure like you guys, we've, we've been offered, well, you've got a better idea of the kind of oh, pricing yeah. and stuff, but we've been offered like Springbanks and Ardbegs and... Capardonics. I mean, Capardonics. And the prices are... Garbage. Yes, terrible. I was thing. I mean, and I know they would probably sell, Mm -hmm. and therefore we would make money. Mm -hmm. 
But at this point in our, I'm not saying never say never because we you, might. You, 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 you might, and then I'll be a big. Yeah, there's so many things we've done that I thought I would never do. But, <laughs> um, but it's, uh-huh. it's um, at this venture, I don't think we can have an inch gower at 60 quid a bottle next to a Cappadonic at 450 quid a bottle. Sure. Um, and, you know, something else, an hard bag at a thousand pounds a bottle. Mm-hmm. You know, it probably would sell and it may well be great but it doesn't fit with what we're we're looking to do. I know other people have, will do it, and that's, that's that's fine. People want to do that, but it's not. So even when I was at Caddenheads or Duncan Taylor, you know when you know Duncan Taylor, Bowmore sixty six is coming out my lugs, a couple of Donick seventy two. You know, I think, I think we bottled over a hundred <sighs> different casks of Capodonic seventy two. You know, Gosh. doing it Caddenheads with Bamps and Springbanks and you know, 30-year-old Highland Parks and stuff, I championed the, you know, the Balmenics and the, mm-hmm. the Glen Lossett, the Glen Elgins, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I've always mm-hmm. been, you know, when you came to the warehouse tastings with us, it would be the Glen Talkers that I'd be, like, really pushing. Mm-hmm. Not pushing, because it didn't need to but that I'd be more excited about rather mm-hmm. than the, you know, whatever, the 30-year-old yeah. Highland Park. And the 30-year-old Highland Park yeah. is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But, yep. but then people expect a 30 year old Highland Park to be phenomenal they don't necessarily expect Good a 15 year old Dunkirkers to be phenomenal Shoot. I know but they don't <laughs> Absolutely. So actually, yeah, I think we're all in agreement there so actually people are more likely to be pleasantly surprised by a 12 year old Manicmore or a you know, 15 year old Dunkirkers than a 30 year old Highland Park or a 25-year-old Springbank or something mm, because yeah. of that expectation. Yeah. So that's... Yep. That's our philosophy, is it? And it's also, you know... It's, like it's just like bald, good whiskey. Yeah. And it doesn't <laughs> really matter... you put it like that. It doesn't matter what distillery it's from or whether we can name the distillery or not or what age it is particularly. But if we feel the price-quality ratio... Yes. It's fair. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm from the northeast of Scotland. Would I spend that amount of money on the bottle? <laughs> you know, yeah. I I want to be able to afford to drink the whiskey that we're selling. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or, or yep. more so, I want to be able to justify opening the bottles that we have and not going, oh, that's 400 quid. That's well, what, and uh, also... I could have, you know, fed my children with that money. <laughs> but also opening the bottles to share with our friends who don't necessarily drink whiskey. Yeah. So you don't feel yeah. that it's going to be totally wasted on them. Yeah, I'm mainly talking about my friends. Obviously, most of Mark's friends drink whiskey, but, like, quite a lot of my friends don't. And we're trying to, trying to get them into it. So if you're if all the stuff you're bottling is in the hundreds of pounds worth, you're really not going to want to crack open one of them to give to people that and, aren't necessarily going to appreciate when, it. when we can eventually get back to bars and entertain clients, you don't want to be going, don't buy that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't take a dram of my... Um, so it's, just, it's too expensive. I don't want to put that on my, on my company expenses. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 So affordability also important, yeah. I think. Quality, right. yeah, no. affordability, 
drinking whiskey. Yeah. Like good honest drinking whiskey is mm-hmm. Is that in and, and that that wasn't going to be my question number two. My question number two, it was different. But it, but is that your goal? Just accessible, delicious, easy drinking whiskey? Is that is that your general ethos? Yeah, I mean, easy drinking is not necessarily the right or the term I would use. No. Because some of it could be non-smooth. You know, but... Uh, I'm trying not to say complex or whatever, but you know, like it, the whiskey may not be for everyone. Mm. Um, you know, like being being honest, we it's not a whiskey, but rum. We, we've got rum samples. We've got the, the travelers rum, and we've got a Foursquare coming. Both excellent, excellent rums, and I love them. Uh, we did get samples of some Jamaican rum, which I mm. absolutely loved. Um, you know, it was just proper linoleum, you know, like a, a, a 1980s car on a hot day, you know, with somebody spilled a bit of diesel in there as well. It's just, like, proper... I hear you. Proper, like, disgustingly brilliant. Um, and moving the, moving further along in time, we'll probably bottle those kind of things that won't necessarily be for everyone. Um, at yep. the minute, we've got to... Have to, but... We have to be a bit more, I don't mean cautious, but the, the things we've started off with, like the, the Belize rum was excellent. I, I love it. But it was more... More a, accessible, accessible, maybe, than... Um, so yeah. once, we're, once we're a bit further established, we can maybe go... A bit more off-piste a bit or more a bit off-piste. more niche or yeah. something. Um, yeah. With the, with the flavour profile the rather than... Yeah. Rather than... Yeah. I mean, I want to move into lots of things, but you're there to rein me back in. Yeah. And, yeah. and, this, and this, this gets us to my question number two, which was, here you are, you've had release number two, you're looking at release number three. I'm curious two things. A, your, your selection process, and B, exactly what you said just then. You know, Obviously, you're, you're a new company, Though both of you have names within the industry that, that people know and people respect and, and, and follow and, and, and so on and, and all of that, it's your company, it's your money, you have to be protective, you want to bottle the things you know are going to be winners. Like, wh- here you are, release number two, looking at release number three, A, what's your selection process look like, and, and B, do, do you... When do you think you'll be able to start getting off beast a little bit and and challenging your your consumers? I mean, I think we're already slightly off beast, yeah. but more so probably in the next year. Yeah, maybe. And <laughs> when we're talking off piece, we're not talking like majorly off piece. Yeah, we're not talking. Yeah. Um, or, uh, you know, um. No, but but I, I guess I guess my point is, and l- let me clarify here. You know, early, early on, when Jason and I started Single Cast Nation, we I want to say this was 2013, 2014. We went to the Westland Distillery, and yeah. we selected. It was a two year old, and it was heavily peated whiskey in uh, a really active sherry cask. And it drank like one of the funkiest lechigs you've ever had. And it was the first time where, (laughs) right? It was the first time where we said, we're going to bottle this. 
And we're going to bottle this knowing there are going to be people that hate this whiskey. And we're okay with that. That that's where that's where I'm getting at. I think we've possibly already done that. <laughs> you digging? Um well well, no, we bottled whiskey that I thought I would hate. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you saw it on a shelf or on someone else's price list, you'd be like, what is this rubbish? Yeah. I mean, like I was always against short finishes. And uh, you know, we've got uh, an Orkney, if anyone said, that has been in a port <laughs> cask for five months, mm-hmm. six months. Mm. And, like, normally I hate short port finishes. I generally don't like yep, port agreed. finishes Same. in general. Um, but I'm we, really not a fan either. Neither are you. But we tried the sample and we were like, that's amazing. Get it the hell out of that port cask. Wow. You know. Mm-hmm. Probably in previous employment, I would have said, great, leave it another three, four years in that port cask. Um, because, well, we had time and to do that. Yeah, we're not in a position we're not in a at the moment. to sit on a, a butt or something for, you know, three years. No. In the hope that it might turn out okay. But you would have um, had sure. that, you if you, in, in the Caddenheads days, you would have just had that, and please correct me if I'm wrong, you would have had that on a spreadsheet that would say Highland Park, 14 years old, five months in a, in, in a port pipe. And you would have said, yeah, leave it in for, for two, three more years. Do you think owning your own company has you tasting things immediately because you need, you simply need to make immediate decisions? Well, we're, ta- we're tasting stuff before we buy it. Yeah. Yep. Um, so it is a case of, yeah, we like that. We yep. want to buy it. And because we're very much, we're buying to bottle within the next six to 12 months yeah. is mm-hmm. the kind of timescale we're not buying to lay down yet. No, in, a, in yeah. an ideal world, I'd like to get to the stage where we're f- three, four releases ahead of mm. where we are. So maybe a mm-hmm. year's worth of stock ahead. And buying mm-hmm. some stuff to lay down yeah. for like future. Future, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're a way off that at the minute. Um, you know, yep. in an ideal world, we'd be like, ah, yeah, we, we buy new make every year so that by the time we retire, we might have something to Yeah, no. Yeah. Um, going back oh, here to you go, Zach. Yeah, here you go, going Joe. back to Joshua's earlier question, the selection process is mm. really quite simple. I'm going to steal Mark's like normal chat on this. It's like, try it, yeah, we like it, we'll buy it, we'll bottle it, is pretty much. The only kind of thing <laughs> we need to do is decide what we're bottling when. Um, mm-hmm. So we bought, what did we buy initially? 10 casks? Yeah, I think so. We bought 10 casks yeah. initially and we decided, thanks to the crowdfunder, actually, we were able to kind of launch with like a range of five casks. Like you guys know yourselves, like mm-hmm. buying the casks is one thing, but then you've got the labelling, the bottling costs, the duty on the UK mm-hmm. stuff, like all this stuff, which if you don't actually have cash in the bank, you can't, mm-hmm. you can't do. So nope. the crowdfunder went amazingly well and allowed us to launch with five casks rather than maybe one or two. That's, so That's really cool. It was. So we had the casks bought and then we sat down 
tasted through them and we did actually, because it was going to be our first release and because we knew that we were probably going to have quite a few months of only tasting these five mm-hmm. products, we're like, we need to have a variety and we need to have stuff that works as a tasting and that works as a kind of smart range. So that, yep. there was a bit of thought went into, Yeah, I'm saying there was a bit of thought went into that like normally you just be like yeah we'll just bottle those five and it'll be fine <laughs> you know there was actually a bit of plan there's always been thought in here um, and again the second release I think we're we're trying to have a bit of variety we're trying not to repeat that like we did a rum in the first release so we haven't done one in the second release we might do the four square third or fourth release Um I mean, there's a few things at the minute, depending on what casks we can actually get to. We've got stuff bought at Claxon's, what casks we can get there on time before mm-hmm. the next release or whatever. So that might influence <laughs> things a wee bit. Um, but selection process, like we've been very fortunate. We've already bought from six six different sources. Yeah, I think so. Six or seven. Six or seven different sources. That's and fantastic. we've managed to um, try everything we've bought before we've bought it it's getting harder it's getting isn't it which is getting harder yeah. it is getting harder and I don't think that's going to that's not continue no, we're going to have to take a punt at some point yeah um, yep but at least if we're a bit further down the line when we do take a punt then we can afford to re-rack it if we need to or sit on it for a bit longer or yeah. you know at this stage you don't want to take a punt on something and then realise that you're not going to be able to bottle it yeah. for 10% three your, years. 10% of your budget yeah. is held up in that one cask. And you're yeah. Like, yep. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. One yeah. cask is 10% of our budget. I held a lot more than mm. that. Um, <laughs> aye, percentage, not budget. Um, but it's... Uh, yeah. It, it, what, what, one of the other things we've been really lucky with and we've been laughing with a lot of people, like, he used to always laugh when you know people in independent bottlers uh, in general will say you know we've tried we try a hundred samples before we pick two casks or whatever all right no you don't uh, or that's why your sample why your casks are so expensive because you've spent you know five grand on samples before you've even <laughs> bottled the cask you know um but what has been quite interesting is because like we know the people were buying from and they know us and if they're sending us samples we generally are having a smell through them first mm-hmm. yep um so we've probably only rejected 10 percent. yeah about that and a lot of it's we've rejected it because we like the other things better rather than yeah. mm-hmm. yep being sent duff stuff aye it's not that there's been anything wrong with any of the stuff that we've been sent just uh, that so that we've preferred other and we can't by everything. Yeah. So and I think mm-hmm. that's where we've been lucky with having friends in the industry. Um Yeah. And with being having been in the industry for yeah, a long time. Been in this for a long time. And also like a lot of the people that we're buying from know that I know what the prices should be. Um <laughs> you know. I don't have I don't a clue. I mean <laughs> I don't have oh a clue. Boy. They can send me anything, but you know. And you know, I love my spreadsheets, so it's Give me an RLA price and boom. Uh, see when exactly. people give you a, give you a bulk price, it really does my head in. Uh-huh. You've got to calculate another calculation. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, or a cask price with no ABV on it. Oh yeah. yeah ju- like, just be happy you're not dealing with American spirits where you're given 
proof gallons and proof rather than liters in ABV. It's a whole other system. And in the U.S., quite often, you're buying the casks. It's This is your price for the cask, period. You could taste it beforehand, but this is your price for the cask. You don't necessarily know what how much is in it. That's just the price. Oh, and so you don't know... You don't that's, get the regauge, or you how don't get an RLA price. Bourbon and rye yeah. are right now. It's just it's a case of you get what you get and you don't get upset, and and that's it. Yeah, so you've got, you've got, you've got to price it based or, or think on your pricing based on there's going to be huge losses. And yep, then if yeah, exactly. Not, yep, then assumptions. You're happy. Yep, you have to you have to make yeah. general I, I think, assumptions. Like, yeah. like when we've been running numbers and doing projections yeah. and everything, I've always been really negative. Yeah, or on the or on cautious, the cautious or side. pessimistic side of what everything's going to cost, yeah. rather than because yep. um, you know, I remember you guys saying this in the podcast in January. You know, whatever you think is going to be double it. You know, it's you know, mm-hmm. it's always going to be something that's going to mm-hmm. mess you up. Didn't realize it was going to be a pandemic, but you know, no. <laughs> <I'm> right? <laughs> um, we were right, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if that answers any questions. It, 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 it does. Right. I, I'm curious. As you're tasting away, are you are you looking at color? Does color pique your interest? Does texture pique your interest? Are there key flavor profiles that are always slam dunks or home runs for you? Well, obviously the color thing makes sense, and um, because of our logo and everything, I smell in colors. Um, so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's it's but not that, necessarily the colour in the glass. It's no, not related to the colour of the whiskey. Right. whiskey. No. Yeah. Um, so that transforms onto the label. But I don't care about the colour. You should maybe explain that because some people listening might not have heard about your yeah. freakishness. Yeah, I'd <laughs> love, this love to spend a moment on yes. this. Um, so, so basically when we designed the labels, so our label is a, a taste bud. Yeah, the logo is a, um, a cross-section of a taste bud. It's what it is. Because obviously mm-hmm. we're all about the taste and not about the packaging, even though we have five labels and books. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, moving on. Uh, but it makes sense and it, it works really well. So the our, our um, team came up with this logo and we were just like, love it. And we decided that we wanted different colours on the label, mm-hmm. you know, just to mix it up a bit. Mainly because quite like bright colours and... Um, bit of variety and I said to Kate well I've always smelled in colours mm-hmm. um, and Kate well you can say what you thought when I said that well he'd got on about this years ago like oh, oh that smells red and I was like you're just a pretentious wanker like what are you on about <laughs> but it turns out it's why a thing why can't you both be right <laughs> well it turns out it's a thing what is it it is called it's synesthesia yeah synesthesia um, yeah and it was actually Dave Broom that told me about it because I was drinking with him in a bar in Tokyo, the one where we got together. Mm-hmm. And I was saying about smelling and colours and things, and he was like, "Oh, that's synesthesia." And he told me about a book that's called the uh, Frog That Croaked Blue, probably mm-hmm. book um, that explains it all. And it basically means you're wired up slightly wrong, or slightly differently rather than wrong. <laughs> we knew that anyway, but but yeah. yeah. And um, so basically, lots of people have it. That mm-hmm. don't necessarily realise they have it. So I, when I smell, I get a flash of colour, 
and that's the colour that we put on the label. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, this is yeah. the first time we've looked into it since we started this company. I've looked into it to try and see if there is any correlation between the colour I smell and tasting notes. Mm -hmm. So far, mm -hmm. I've not got enough um, research to do proper analysis on it. And I was so pleased like when we did the Horte pink coloured Orkney. Um, I was so pleased that the smell wasn't pink because that would have really have annoyed me. <laughs> um, and it wasn't, whereas the inch girl that we did, you know, like creamy, it was called pink is the colour we got that. So that's that's where the colour thing comes in with our labels. And we also wanted different colours, but we didn't want to go down the regional, regional route. The regional colours, yeah. Because, mm -hmm. you know, most people mm -hmm. do, you know, Islas, purple, space age green, mm -hmm. whatever, whatever. And that, there's nothing wrong with that, but what happens is your Isla whiskey sells out, mm -hmm. so it doesn't hit the shelf. Like we're not going to get anything from Campbelltown much, not much <laughs> from the Lowlands, you know. Um, so you've got, and then so you, most of your bottlings will be from Speyside because that's where they make great whiskey. <laughs> so <laughs> they all be the same color. <laughs> so yeah. your shelf sends up all the same color. So by yeah. mixing it up, uh, and it will be interesting once we get more bottles on board. You know, one day will we do an orange tasting of like five bottles that are all orange or purple or hot pink or whatever? Mm. It's, uh, it's, yeah, I think it fun. may be quite random. I don't know that there's anything hugely because we'd thought it was a Kalila, it was purple, and we're like, oh, maybe purple's like a kind of smoky PT Isla thing. Yeah. But you know three or four other like smoky PT Isla things that we had in the house and none of them were purple. So we're like, right, it's not it's nothing that kind of obvious. Obvious. So interesting. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's triggered by the height of the stills. Maybe you're like two and a half meter stills <laughs> is uh, purple. Ooh. We're building Maybe you're up. a rain man about stills. <laughs> yeah. Fermentation time. No. <laughs> 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 so at the moment we're building up a kind of database yeah. of like not just our own stuff but just any other whiskey that we've got lying around or in the house and you're kind of nosing stuff and keeping a note of what colour it is. Because so I've, I've always had it and I've brought it up in tastings years ago when I first started and I'll keep going. And actually when we first started going together your mum did some paintings based on tasting notes. Yeah she did. Um, oh wow. Um, she did like some abstract kind abstract of kind of like the one that's behind us there. Yep. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. that that's great for podcasts. It is. It's been <laughs> great on the podcast. Yeah. Um, Listeners are loving that artwork. Um, so it looks really like abstract. a it looks like a pepperoni pizza in the distance for those that yeah. are yeah. that are curious. Um, and it was like Brooke Laddie <laughs> ten year old taste notes and Springbank ten year old taste notes that she did. Yeah, because you said what yeah. colours you got and Mum kind of did these like little abstract kind of tasting notes. Paintings. And even then, you still thought it was a load of nonsense. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but I quite like it now. I'm just humouring you there. That's amazing. Was she, she your mother-in-law at that point, or she was uh, just? She might have been. She might have been. Yeah, I think so. She likes him. Yeah. No, I can't pretend. But she's, you know, I she's met him. People do. I know I did. <laughs> <laughs> but now I like the colour thing because I really like her labels, and I like the the range having like all these different. Mm. Colours. So, going back to the question that was asked quite a long time ago, after we I went off piece, Kate remembers questions. I know. Fantastic. Mark really sniffs in colour, and Kate remembers <laughs> questions. Like, yeah. my God, what a double team you both are! <laughs> this is remarkable. So probably, 
probably when we're doing the cast selection, like the colour does come into it, but more the label colour, because yes. we don't want to bottle five different things that Mark smells as green in one release. Mm. Sure. Sure. Because we went, the whole point of having different colours was to stand out uh, a bit on the shelf. It's a unique wrinkle. So we want like so that's, a yeah. range so of... So that's why you said, uh, maybe we'll do the four square release number three. Maybe it'll be release number four. It depends on where the colours lie. A okay. little bit. I mean, that's not... It's not high on the list of no. selection criteria, <laughs> but it does yeah. play a... Yeah. But, but I think it's the selection process is very much whether you like it or not. But you probably do have a style of whiskey that you like and will generally select, though, don't you? Yeah, I like I like spirit forward stuff. Yep. You yep. know, I, I like I like tasting distillery character. No, don't get me wrong. Sometimes I love a massive sherry or a blast of peat or whatever. Mm-hmm. And if you can get you know sherry cask and distillery character working together, it, it's yeah. fantastic. But. You know, that's why, you know, I love mezcals and things like that that are spirit. Yes. Spirit driven. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a tendency you can say, oh, so you just like immature whiskey. And there's a difference between spirit driven and immature, yeah. I think. You, yeah. you, the cask has to do some work. Mm-hmm. Um, and But again, for me, and I've always said this, as an independent bottler, you're there to bottle different whiskies or rums or whatever you're doing. If you have everything tasting, if, if you filled everything into first full sherry, then you've obviously got more money than, <laughs> than we do. Than we do. Um, and you'll get great whiskey from first full mm-hmm. sherry. It will be brilliant. But the sherry can overpower it and it can become a nice whiskey, but it's a nice sherry whiskey. Yeah. Is it a nice sherry Dalyun? Is it a nice sherry Inchgower? Is it a nice sherry Manic Mort? Is it a nice sherry Milton Duff? You know, if it's too much, okay, there's some things that can stand up to it, like fartless, <coughs> like yeah. etc. But you're wanting to taste the nuances in the different whiskies. Otherwise, why not just vat them all together and stick them in mm. sherry? And that's... Yeah, have, have a, a big have sherry. A yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or save yourself a ton of money and just buy sherry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also wonderful. So, yeah. yeah, so I think distillery character... Character, that's what we're looking for, and you know, like bizarrely, when you I don't know, you when I get a cask sample, when I first knows it, I'm initially looking for reasons not to bottle it. Mm-hmm. I know what you're talking you know, about. Is there, anything, is there anything wrong with this? And it's actually quite a boring way to taste mm-hmm. whiskey. Yep, it's much better when you're doing a tasting or whatever, and you're like, Oh, I'm drinking this to enjoy it, and <laughs> um, but you're drinking it going. Is there a reason not to bottle yeah. this? You know, is it is it is there any faints? Is there any off notes? Is there you know is it young? Is it, is it overly woody? Is it this? Is it that? And then you start looking into is it enjoyable? Mm-hmm. Um, which is probably the opposite way of how your listeners will taste whiskey. You're tasting it, say, oh, is it fruity? Exactly. Is it this? Is it, is it yeah. nice? Do I like it? Um, and that's how we drink for pleasure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying it's hard work what we do, but like you do taste for selection in a different way than you taste, you know, for enjoyment. Do you know the other thing as well that I find because I've always worked for distilleries rather than independent bottlers, so I've not had the same amount of experience of different distilleries and uh, 
loads of different cast selections mm-hmm. as Mark. But I think there is that thing that it doesn't matter how many times you taste it, a bad whiskey is not going to become good. Right. But if you try a whiskey, you can try something and be like, yeah, I quite like that, I think. Uh-huh. And then you'll come back to it and you're like, actually, do you know, that's, that is really good. I do really like that. And it kind of grows mm-hmm. on you. Uh-huh. But you never try something that you think's bad or that you you really don't like and then go back to it and like it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like you don't try something and say, oh no, there's off notes in that. And then you go back to it and go, oh no, it's fine. Yeah. But I, I've, I've seen samples that I've not even tried because I've opened the sample bottle and went, no. Nah. Yep. Yeah. And yep. just automatically rejected it. Yep. Which is always disappointing. But it's also quite good because you know you don't have to think about mm-hmm. it. Yeah. You know, it's. But on the, the kind of flip side of that, like I've had. There's been two, like one in each release, actually. So the Highland, nearly said it. The Highland that we did for the first release. Initially, I was like, yeah, it's all right. And as I've tasted it and kind of every time I try it, I'm like, oh, actually, you know, it's like, it's really grown on me. And the same with this release. It was actually the Altavain because you'd try it and you're like, oh, this is amazing. I love this. And I was kind of like, yeah, it's all right. It's kind of... <laughs> Space out is fine. Um, I know. I think I'm much more like because you know my first exposure to whiskey or decent malt whiskey was Springbank. So I'm much more into the kind of like, such a hard life you've. Had. I know it's terrible. Springbank to Glen kind of, Oh, yeah, working down pit. Oh, I know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but. So I'm much more used to your kind of coastal, bit more peaty, bit more kind of oily, or your big kind of sherry mm-hmm, space side. Mm-hmm. And I don't have the same kind of flavour reference, or I don't have the same experience of... I think you put yourself down a lot. Kinda, no, but what I mean is, when I try... Like, I remember doing tastings at Caddenheads. This was when I worked at Springbank. We would write tasting notes for the the Caddenheads mm-hmm. releases. And you'd be going through them going, oh, it's another bloody Speyside. Oh, it's another, like, bourbon Speyside bleh. And you... <laughs> <laughs> I know, sorry, dear. <laughs> but there was a bit of that, like, Speyside fatigue. Mm. Yeah. When sure. you were trying a lot of them. Sure. And I still, I think, have that initial, like, nah, it's a Speyside. And it's only once I actually, like, I'm not talking about Mark, because he has a lot more experience it but like you know it's only once I actually take my time and go back and try it and you're like oh actually yes you know that is a really good whiskey and it's got a lot going for it and it kind of it takes me a lot longer to get into the kind of more subtle space side styles I think is what I'm trying I, to say I suppose I could say, like I had somewhat like doing when you used to think Scottish whiskey you know Singapore whiskey and then you go and try 10 or 12 bourbons in a row and you're having to write taste notes for that. You're like, oh, yeah. vanilla. Uh, <laughs> Get the sawdust out. <laughs> this one's vanilla and sweet. This one's sweet and vanilla. But the more you drink of them, the more you get into the, the nuances. Right. And, yep. and it's the same with anything, really. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's... I just think... I... I the Alton Bain that we've done, I love it. It's just a mm-hmm. fruity, but it's gentle. Mm. 
So a lot of the stuff that I like is quite... You like quite subtle yeah. stuff sometimes. Which is bizarre because I'm very rarely subtle. <laughs> but, um, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. I think like when I first started drinking whiskey, like legally and uh, properly, I drank a lot of Lagavulin. Mm. Not that there's anything wrong with drinking Lagavulin. There is not. Not at all. It's great. Although you were complaining that there's far too much Lagavulin, and you notice there's another one coming out. I uh, saw that. So I finished in Guinness. Like I, yeah, I, I saw that and thought of you. Thank you. Was, um, Thank you, Mark. But it shows how good that advertising is. <laughs> Offerman and Guinness, and I think of Jason. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's. Um, I, I remember, like, I drunk Lagavulin like it was going out of fashion. I remember one night in Highlander Inn, I had a pint of Lagavulin 16. Oh, my gosh. Um, because I was playing catch-up, and people just kept ordering more. And, Hashtag, please drink uh, responsibly. I, I, yeah, did, absolutely. I mean, this did, was did, a long time ago. This was in the olden days when it was, like, acceptable. You didn't have to drink responsibly at all. This was a, a full pint yeah. of Lagavulin 16. Okay, yeah. continue. Yeah, Yeah, I was, I was 18, 19, something like that. And... Um, <laughs> I'd finished my shift at the Craig Hotel at 10, 11 o'clock at night and went across to the bar. And everyone had, that had been there had been buying me drums to put in tab for when I arrived. Because that's kind of what you do in Scotland. Uh, in local bars. That's wonderful. And so I arrived and the Jock had it back then. It was just a wild west place. But brilliant. It was Jack Shaw? And... Uh, no, not Jock Shaw. Oh, okay. Jock. oh do it. Wow, there's two uh, In Scotland, okay. there's more than just Jock Shaw. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Imagine. Yeah. And do you know what? I just realised I don't know what Jock's in name is. Anyway, Jock, Jock for the hunky. Jock for the hunky, the Highlander. And so he, he poured them into a, a Slim Jim. And no, he started pouring them and he's like, oh, I'll need to pour them into a half pint glass because there's so many of them. Oh, mm-hmm. And there was more than a half pint. So he just then <laughs> filled up a pint glass with Lagavulin <laughs> and so I remember starting around the pub with three pints and a pint of beer a pint of Lagavulin and a pint of water and it was that water. was responsible oh yeah so it was responsible mm. good um, on you and good I on you remember, Mark. I do remember I do remember thinking I must phone my mum to tell her I'll no be home tonight <laughs> and it was seven in the morning it was like, <laughs> But coming back to the start of that story, which, like, I, I used to drink a lot of Lagavulin and Ardbegs and things like that, and I still love these things, but for me it's much e- easier to be an expert with a Lagavulin or an Ardbeg because the flavour punches you in the face. Peat makes it easy. Oh, it's smoky, it's peaty, it's wet rope, it's, you know, yep. all those kind of things. And it's much easier to feel comfortable mm-hmm. that you're picking out the flavours. And whereas, you know, over the years picking... You know, subtle fruity bomores and rosebanks and you know there aren't been Milton Duffs and things. I think because I've been doing more of that, I probably appreciate them more. You know, don't get me wrong. I'll still drink. I'm not a pint, but I'll still like drinking <laughs> like sixteen. Pint. Um, he's, he's a dad now. He, he was yeah, a yeah. pint of like a Hashtag. Or, or, or at least an American <laughs> pint, which is a, which is a bit smaller than an imperial <laughs> pint. I'm here sixteen ounces <laughs> instead of twenty. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Where were you going with that? You know, so I think I think a lot of the time I do like the the subtlety, the the, the things you've got to work mm. a little bit more at. Mm-hmm. Um, that that possibly some people will overlook as just not bland, but like subtle. That they're like, oh, that's a nice whiskey. But when you actually sit and look at it, you're like, do you know what? Give that a wee bit of time, or let it open up. 
you know, once 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 you've had a couple of drams out the bottle and let the bottle open up, it's I think you you've know. just described Blair Athol for me. Right? Oh, it's, well said. Right? It's well just, said. Yeah. It takes you a while to really appreciate it, but when you do, it you're rewarded because it's an Always excellent dram. Yeah. Always been a big fan of Blair Athol. Yeah. I had I had a meeting once at Blair Athol Distillery in January. Um, and it wasn't with Blair Athol. It was I was meeting my Chinese importer. Mm. And um, <laughs> fwa, fwa, fwa. It, it meant it meant halfway through where he was and where I was was Blair Athol Distillery. So we just thought we'd meet there. So we met in the car park and we're like, I will go into the distillery and have a look there. There was no one there at all. We walked around yeah. the visitor centre. Uh-huh. We walked around, we walked around the stills, we just walked around the whole place by ourselves going, hello, hello, <laughs> no one Nobody. was there. And I was so sure, I was like, I bet you if I take a bottle off the shelf that like someone will appear. But, <laughs> but, the, but yeah. we, were, we were offered some Blair Athol by a broker and mm-hmm. the broker said, yeah, you can have it. You just can't use the name on the label. And we said, it's Blair Athol. We, we could put the distillery name front and centre in pink neon and nobody would know what it was. Like, why would you not use the name on it? But obviously we all understand contracts and we've explained yes. it in the podcast Absolutely. enough times. But there are things like, it's one thing if you've got a non-named Orkney or, yeah. you know, yeah. oh, nudge, nudge, it's a lag of villain or whatever. Not that we would do that because we've never had that kind of thing. No, but... When you're going, do you know what? It's a Blaine Athol. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, yeah. so? Like, oh, who gives a fuck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. And, and what, what, one, one of the things that's kind of annoyed me about non-named mm-hmm. casks mm-hmm. these days, they used to be much cheaper. You Correct. Used able, yes. You used to be Correct. able to get a non, like, you can have this, you can't name it, but it'll be... 20% cheaper than mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if you slap a name on it. Mm-hmm. And now it's getting to the stage where it's pretty much the same price as the name stuff. There's no value there. I wonder the same thing. Yep. The same thing. Yeah, it, it's painful. But you, you're, we're all raising a, a point here. And I, I want to say something that's been kind of rumbling around in my brain. It's so interesting that we sit and ask you, you know, and, and, and you kind of volunteered the word like, when will you go off piste? You've bottled a manuk more. You've bottled a Linlinco. <laughs> an inch gower, I'm sorry, an inch gower. Yeah. You you I bottled on You bottled an Alta vein, you know, like you're already so far off piste, right? Like we're like, when are you gonna go off piece with something really unknown? <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm drinking this manuk more and I'm Absolutely head over heels yes, in love. I, I think it's lovely. absolutely phenomenal. Um, so so with that said, that's what's been rumbling around in my brain. I just wanted to say it. I wanted it on wax. With <laughs> Thank that, you. With, I think you're right, though. Right? Um, which is... Thank you. Again, you've got that on wax now. <laughs> Thank you. you. Right. Play it on a loop. Yeah. That will yeah. be on he's, the he's gonna floor. For, Josh is in no, charge of post. Jason is going to force me to have that on repeat at least 15 times. <laughs> yeah. If anything, but, it might become the Easter egg. I think it's sometimes we forget having, or more so possibly I forget having been in independent bottling for 20 odd years, that Manic Moore and Alton Bain is 
off-piste. See, Way when off you were piste. talking about off-piste, I'm thinking like, you know, cognacs, mezcals, <laughs> like... Yeah, that's thinking, what I'm thinking for off piece. I'm not just single like, cash negroni. And see, or, and see, that's when I rein you in. <laughs> and see, when we were talking about off piece, I was thinking about another style of off piece, which was, you know, when you when you throw people for a curve flavor wise, forget the distillery. It's if you're known for doing uh, X, Y, and Z, or sorry, X, Y, and Z. Um, and then all of a sudden you throw a, a cue in there, right? And it's just a difference in flavor. You're not known for doing this. And then all of a sudden, for me, that's off-piste. But, but Jason, I, I do see your point there. It's when you're leading with distilleries that no fucker's heard of. But at the same time, you're saying, you got to taste it because this whiskey is delicious. Yeah. And, and you're right. I, I mean, granted, I, I only have the Manic Moore with me, and it's glorious. And I love, this is what I've loved about independent bottlers getting into whiskey years ago is, I've, I know Gordon McPhail, but I've never heard of this, you know, what, what is this, I don't know, Glenn, whatever. And then you're introduced into something glorious. You're doing what an independent bottler does, opening the eyes of the consumer to something they're simply not familiar with. And I think, yeah. like, there's still distilleries that have benefit from that. You know, Glenallachie. I remember selling yep. loads of signature Glenallachie. You know, that's always been great by independent bottlers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously Billy's went in there and, you know, put his capital letter in the middle of it. Um, <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> he's, he's, um, you know, Billy's went in there and he's done a lot of wood management and stuff and everything. <laughs> um, and, you know, he's, he's good at what he does. But would Glenallachie... You know, people know it from independent bottlers. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, there once I believe there was once an official bottling for the Belgian market, mm-hmm. and other than that, there was the bottlings that you could get at the distilleries, at the distilleries. Yeah, the fifty CL yeah, bottles. But, yeah. yeah. You know, but people, people like us, knew about Glenalkey because of independent bottlers, and I think you know, there's lots of distilleries throughout time, throughout history that have benefited from independent bottlers raising the profile. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So, yeah, in years to come, Manic Moore is going to be huge. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I, I have no doubt, you know, along with Milton Duff, we mentioned yeah. Glen Elgin earlier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we just put a Glen Elgin. We tried a fantastic Glen Elgin oh, yeah. when we were oh. doing our first, when we got the first lot of samples in. We both, there was this Glen Elgin and we both tried and we're like, Oh my god, that's amazing! Like, we need it, and by the time we phoned up to buy it, it was gone. Shit! Oh wow, oh, that's day. terrible. We, because because we were still new and we hadn't. It was pre crowdfunded, I think. Mm. I think it was before we got the Wauger. It was before we got the Wauger, and we were like, <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then we went for it, and they were like, that's no, gone. Yeah, I, I just I want- so now as soon as like if we try something, we're like, yeah. right. On the phone or email straight away, like yeah, we want that one. <laughs> I, I just I want I want to to put this out there for our listeners who who may not know what a wow. Actually, would you guys explain to our listeners because this is an inter, integral part of being an independent bottler is having a wowger. What's a wowger? It is so a wowger is basically authorization from HMRC, which is Revenue and Customs in the UK. Mm-hmm. It's authorization for you to hold duty suspended goods and trade in duty suspended goods so if you're buying casks 
for bottling or for sale or whatever, you have to have this authorization to be able to own casks in a um, bonded warehouse, mm-hmm. basically. You can own casks if you don't have it. You can, as a private individual, if you're buying a cask for your own use, you don't need a wauger. Mm-hmm. But if you are a... A revenue trader is the term, but it basically means yep. if you're buying and selling in any way, shape or form, you need to have this authorization. It says you're a fit and proper person to own duty suspended goods. I don't know how we how us two managed to get one. <laughs> the joke writes itself. It does. Um, I'm glad you included yourself in that. I did, you didn't yeah. just throw me under no, the bus with that one. Both of us. But we were very lucky that we had um, a good friend in the industry who kind of guided us through it a bit. And I don't know whether we were just lucky with who we got at HMRC, but... And we were lucky that um, because of the pandemic, Mm. silver lining and everything, we didn't have to do a face-to-face interview with anyone. Yeah. I mean, I think it's easier because for an independent bottler, you're not actually carrying out any of the process yourself. And we don't have a warehouse. We get our stuff warehoused by Claxons mainly. Mm-hmm. So none of the stuff that we're doing in Campbelltown involves the underbone sure. stuff. Yeah. So although technically we're the Campbelltown Whiskey Company. Yeah, we don't actually have any whiskey in Campbelltown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't do any of the bottling in Campbelltown. No. We, we select it in Campbelltown. We do. Oh, there you go. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so you have to, it's basically a lot of paperwork and jumping through a lot of hoops and like, well, you guys know as well, it's like business plans and letters of intent and you know all sorts easy. of stuff i mean for you guys it it was easier but it's not easy it was sort of it takes a while i mean it didn't take us that long but <laughs> no it did not sorry but we're not gonna comment on that kid no 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 <laughs> let's focus on what divide and what unites us not divides yeah. us but this that part of the business like when we started or when we when we decided to start our own business we're like right we know about the cask selection bit, or certainly Mark knows about the cask selection bit. That's okay. He, Mark had all the contacts with the brokers. Like, we had access to mm. to stock. So that bit wasn't an issue. And they were like, we both have long-standing relationships with distributors in a lot of different Multiple countries. countries. Mm-hmm. We know a lot yep. of retailers. We know a lot of um, consumers. Like, that side of it's okay. Like, how on earth do you do that middle bit? Like actually getting it from the cask to the bottle and then out because, you know, we never had to do that stuff yeah, before. Well, I, I, we had, it, there was like I, a whole I, team at Glenfarclas yeah. that did all the like bottling and shipping and logistics or whatever. Yeah. You know, you know I had nothing yeah. to do with the cask selection. It was just like, right, this is what you've got to sell. Cadenhead's yeah. Jenna just made everything happen. Yeah, you chose the stuff and then you went, yeah, this is what I want to bottle and other people, like, yeah. you know, yeah. magic. It yeah. just happened. Well, even the world so, of dry goods, you're, you're now in a world with cartons in it, right? Exactly. You've got to have them designed, you got to have them produced, you have to have them stored, you have to have mm-hmm. them ready to go when you make a bottling. It's just another wrinkle that's not necessarily yeah. liquid-related, but... So it was all that it was, you know, you have to have this... Wauger to be able to own casks. Mm-hmm. To own casks, you have to have a VAT number, so we had to get VAT registered. Um, uh-huh. Like, 
Yeah, we're all now, this... we're now having to make that digital and do online. Yeah, so there's all this stuff that and... we're like, you know, first year, we're not going to be over the VAT threshold, but because we want to own casks, it's like, right, you need to be VAT registered. We had to do all that stuff. And then we're like, right, you know, logistics, like dealing with transport companies to get stuff from the Claxons in the middle of nowhere to us at the end of nowhere and like yep. getting it actually out of the country. It was just like daunting. I, yeah. Well, I found it. Well, it's probably been very good that you, it is very good that you're involved in the company. Girl, but yeah. Cause you've left me doing all the logistics. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Poor Jess. That's, yeah. You can, but, 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 you can lament fit. with Jess anytime you want. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm not good with people. Um, like, well, yeah, not, it sounds ridiculous, but yeah, like, if 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 a courier company doesn't pick something up and they don't tell us, I will lose the head. And, oh, interesting. You know, what you mean is, I'm a bit more diplomatic. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's and and when there away. is only two courier companies that will collect in Campbelltown, you can't afford to. You can't fall out with them, no. really. Um, or, and so. <laughs> <laughs> like I've I've had to learn, and to be honest, I, I learned a lot when I came to Campbelltown. To like when I joined Cadenheads, my tolerance level for what am I trying to say here? I don't know. You need Stupidity. to be careful. You don't um, know who's listening. <laughs> no, no, I don't. What I, what I mean is like you had to become more relaxed. I had to become more relaxed. You know, the pace of life, everything's. Slower, oh, slower. Yeah. Everything takes longer. And but I was working for a, a bigger company, a subs company. They had ways of doing things or whatever. Whereas, you know, no offense to Duncan Taylor, but when I was there, things were much more bang, bang, bang. Get it bottled, get it out. Boom. I mean, still bottling great mm. whiskies or whatever, mm-hmm. but you know, it was a bit more immediate. Immediate, you know. I don't mean pressure. It's definitely... Campbelltown definitely has yeah. its own kind of pace of life. Mm-hmm. Which then, is a bit slower than... Well... Which to, is remarkable to think about because we, we talk about moving at the pace of Scotland and now you're talking about moving at the pace of Campbelltown and, and that, slower and, and that's what I was going to ask the pace of is, Scotland. Is, there's, there's Scotland slow and then there's Isla slow and then there's Campbelltown slow... Out of the three, which is the slowest? I would imagine Island. I would imagine Island Campbelltown okay. are fairly okay. similar yeah. in kind of but time like, scales. I and remember stuff. when when I joined Cadenheads, um, we did. I was, with, I was thinking with your mum one night, and we calculated out the amount of hours that uh, I worked different. So from Duncan Taylor to moving to Cadenheads, technically I worked two months a year less mm-hmm. because of the amount of hours less. Oh, okay. Because mm-hmm. yep. Cadenheads, it was Cadenheads nine, to, was nine five. to five. And you get the odd, but you know, it was, it was great. And now, probably <laughs> work two months a year. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, we're always technically working, but it's, it's, it's been, it's been brilliant to be able to do that. Like to go and pick the kids up from school, look at, Mm-hmm. Not yet, but like you say, it doesn't feel like work when we're out walking with the pram and just chatting through plans or yeah. Or well, have you been in touch with Belgium or or have you done this? So it's mainly Kate. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Are you uh-huh. familiar with the 
Are you familiar with the American expression, work smarter, not harder? That's what, I you're, have heard that's what that. you're describing right now, mm-hmm. is working smarter. Yeah, I, I think we're, we're probably fairly, well, probably much more efficient because there's mm-hmm. only the two of us. Yeah. Um, and so if a decision needs to be made, we can make mm-hmm. it immediately. We don't have to go, I'll make this, this is what I want to do, but mm-hmm. I actually probably need to go and check. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I would say this, but one of the biggest problems of owning yeah. your own company is you can't blame yeah, someone else. Yeah, you can't blame the boss. You know, because... Like, normally you would say, ah, oh, you know, if it was up to me, I would do that. You know, no problem. I would give you that cask of our big. Not a problem. Yeah. No problem. I would definitely come and do that show, but the boss <laughs> says no. Uh-huh. And now no. we can't do that. No. no I, 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 I mean, I, at the minute, like, everything's the fault of COVID-19. Yeah. Or small children. But... I, I've tried saying, yeah. you know, I'd, I'd love to do this, but Jason says no. It, it doesn't... When you when you're a twosome, yes, yeah, it's, it's not so easy to do that. Yeah, it doesn't work, does it? It's not to say either one of us hasn't tried though, and you know maybe given <laughs> any way your meetings go of a day, maybe one of you will try that on somebody as well. I'm sure we probably will. Yeah. Although most of the distributor is you that deals with most of the distributors at the minute. Yeah. Mostly. Mostly. I mean, you're involved. <laughs> I say most of the distributors. It sounds like we've got loads of them. Yeah, like, we've, we've got, got four. <laughs> I was going to ask that but, question, you know, earlier on in this conversation, you were both talking about traveling so much and, and going to so many different countries and working so diligently, even on new continents. But in launching What Whiskey, here you are with the, the four countries do you want to reiterate the countries for our listeners and then um, um g- go so into why those those are the four and, and what the plans might five. be there's technically, well, technically five. five like if you count if you count the uk as well yeah, i think you then should we've got yeah, the UK. you're definitely in yeah. the uk so uk and then belgium denmark japan taiwan okay um it sounds quite a random selection to be fair it's not hugely logical maybe but the thinking was it is huge I know but to outsiders listening it doesn't necessarily sound to those listening it might sound a little random um what we decided when we launched like it would be really easy for us to be like right we know distributors in all these markets we're gonna like say yeah we're gonna launch what whiskey's available in 20 different markets but because what we're doing is all single cask if you then split a single cast between 20 markets, they've got like 10 exactly. bottles each. Which is nothing. And we wanted we wanted our partners and our distributors to actually be able to get behind the brand and work with it properly. I think, I think the, the fact you used the word partners there sums it up. It's people that we want to work mm-hmm. with. Yeah. It is. You know, it's, it's a long-term relationship. Everybody that we're working with I mean, I think Taiwan's the most recent relationship, is it? It's like 15 years. Yeah, exactly. But that's what I mean. They're the most recent one. (laughs) Yeah. Well, technically, um, the UK, actually. Technically, the Whiskey Exchange. No, because I worked with Sikindan at Springbank. Yeah. So when I started at Springbank in 2002, 
like Sukinder was one of my main UK customers. Ah, so I was on the phone to him yeah, he was all fairly, the time. He, so he was fairly new. He was yeah, fairly new course, at that yeah, time to the kind of distribution. Right? Yeah, right. That so, was a great episode. Uh, if you want to go back to any episode, it's really, yeah. ah, cheers, yeah, we were really Thank proud you, of that man. one. Mostly because we um, said almost so, nothing in it, and he just talked the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's what I mean. Like the people that we have got to distribute our staff are people that we've known personally mm-hmm. for. 15, yep. 20 years. Like I say, like Taiwan's probably the most recent and that's, you've known them for 15 years. Yeah. I don't know the Taiwanese distributors. That's the only one really that I don't know yeah. personally. Like we, we had a Hogmanay with our Danish importer. Yeah, in, um, uh, Lars at Lego. Again, he wasn't one of my distributors, but because Mark and I were together and um, we had a really nice Hogmanay with Lars and memorable. Yes, very memorable. <laughs> They hadn't booked a table for us, so we ended up like having a private dining room in the oh, wow. for Hogmanay. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> so going back to my point, which was it would have been very easy to go to lots of different markets, but we decided to stick to a smaller mm. amount, do them properly. The other thing, there's only two of us. Mm. We have two kids. We can't do a huge amount of travelling. So if we've got four markets, or five, including the UK, like, we can do a market visit to each of them at least once a year. You know, we can go and visit them in normal times, not just now, but um, it allows us to kind of service and develop the markets properly. And and if we need other markets, then there are options. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if we want to expand or we decide to start doing... things don't sell enough through those five. Yeah, then there are other markets we could expand into if we wanted to. So in that, we're very fortunate. And I think that's one of the, maybe one of the differences between us and maybe other people setting up an independent bottlers from scratch. You know, if you don't have that route to market, then it makes everything a lot mm, harder. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you look at, you look at Japan, say, like we, well, we both know the importers mm-hmm. and they've just celebrated their 20th anniversary whiskey. Yeah, so I suppose a lot of the people that we're working with, we've been working with them for most of the life of their company as well. Oh, yeah, that's remarkable. Like in one yeah. itinerary, like yeah. the, what do you call it? One iteration? iteration. That's oh, the one, that, thank Jason. you. <laughs> <laughs> Kate's so good with languages, I'm just doing my best to just earn like one little bit of respect. Yeah, in her eyes. I, 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 I like how she looked at me like that. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I knew I had to roll up my like sleeves the at that point. <laughs> the nectar in Belgium, you started as soon as they started. The as soon as they started the company, you started with him with Duncan Taylor. So there is that mm-hmm. long relationship, mm-hmm. which again has been a huge benefit. Just now, you know, we haven't been able to go and visit any of yeah. our distributors in person, yeah. but because that relationship's already there, and also the relationship with their customers, exactly, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah and, like and we know a lot of the retailers of and stuff. Is it? Yeah. So that's been a huge help, actually, well, it, particularly with world yeah. events being as they <laughs> the, are. The global shit show, as we like to call it. But I, I think that was Ooh. one of the things that we were talking about last January, and, and I will, I'll put it on wax right now. I'm looking forward to our January 2022 interview 
um, just to see how things have gone over another 12 mm-hmm. months with mm-hmm. you. Um, but I, I think that was one of the things we were saying back last January when we were together in Glasgow with Jess, which was, you guys have got two decades at this. Like, you're coming in as such wonderfully known commodities and well-respected whiskey individuals mm-hmm. that to have now, looking backwards, seen you hit the ground running was absolutely well-deserved and well-earned over many years. Not, not to suggest that Mark Watt is older uh, than either Josh or myself. Um, I think he's, you're the youngest in the... I mean, he might look it. No, he's, but... he's the youngest in the bloody conversation. Um, I, I, I had a hard paper. He's still 39. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. been 39 for yeah. the past year and a half. So we'll, yeah. we'll He see. delivered in Campbelltown while living next to McAllen. It was a remarkable achievement for a paper round. Absolutely remarkable. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you might stay 39 for two years because you might actually have to have two lockdown birthdays. Yeah, it's possible. I actually have your you presence. Know, you see, know... through this door here, another, there's a great visual for our listeners as well, through this door. Here, I have your birthday present on the other side of that door, so I'm waiting to deliver that to you in person as well. We make it maybe like a 45th party. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I'll still have to, but it probably means I need to work an extra two years before I can retire. But it's <laughs> <laughs> but no, like when you say when when you say about that, like sometimes we do forget that we've been doing it for so long. Yeah, because I kind of think, oh, Jesus. I still sometimes think I'm the new boy of the industry. Wow. Um, yeah. But then there's also, but then. This doesn't like, make sense to me. We, 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 start, <laughs> we started in the industry with, you know, Frank McCarty's, Jim McEwen's. Um, they were probably our age-ish. No, nah, they were a bit older, <laughs> but not much, actually. Like 66 or something like that. No, he's, no, 70, he's 76. 76. There you go. There's a bonus yeah. decade but, for you. Yeah. yeah. No, they were probably, yeah, about 10 years older than us. Yeah. When we started. And, and they were the industry veterans. Right. So you're like, oh, actually. Mm. Yeah. Seemed ancient. And so and so we still kind of, we obviously will always look up to these people. And, you know, so it's, I don't know, you still kind of feel, oh, you're new. Mm. Um, which is good, in a way. Yeah. Because uh, you're always learning. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's, yeah, there's plenty to be learning. Uh, l- listen, as always, we could sit and talk to you for forever. Um, but we we got to get out of here on this with the interest of time and, you know, whatever time it is in Campbelltown, you know, 1965. And whatever time it is <laughs> here in Virginia. Great year for local yeah, barley. 1855 <laughs> in Virginia. Um, one of the questions that we always like to get out on, and, and I think this might be a, more difficult time to be asking this question. In 2020, when we asked this question, people would go, God, only, oh, I hope 2021's better. Now we're in it. We're not starting particularly strong. What are you most excited about as you look into your crystal ball, as you look into 2021 and beyond? And obviously, you're you're such a brand new company. I'm sure there's a lot of things that are exciting every single day. But, but what's got your interest uh, going forward this year? Um, Mark looks at Kate. I'm Kate looks in the corner to... of the room. <laughs> I'm looking at the ceiling. I'm thinking. Wait, I'm supposed to be excited um, for something? Wait a yeah. second. <laughs> I'm looking forward to um, schools going back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Um, I'm looking forward to having the first. Oh, no, we've had a drama of what whiskey in a pub, actually. Yeah. Haven't we? 
We look forward to doing our first actual live whiskey show. Or tasting. Like, or tasting, like an actual in-person yeah. with, Wait, with humans? With our own With whiskeys. humans in the same yeah. room. <laughs> with real humans in the same room, I think that would... Hmm. And getting kind of immediate feedback on your whiskies, whether that's this year wow. or next year, I have wow. no idea. But I'm very much looking forward to actually getting to speak to real 3D people mm. about our whiskey. And also, like, for third me, release, fourth release? For, for me, trying to nail down third, fourth, fifth, just always looking for new things. Mm-hmm. Um, We've got some good stuff coming up, though. We do have some good stuff going And we sometimes forget yeah. that. Like, we you tend to, like, oh, I've got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. And then you're like, but like, I was looking, like, we just, like, if you include the electric coup stuff, you know, we've done 17 casks in the first year. That's insane. Amazing. Yeah. You know, and... And he's busy telling everybody, oh yeah, we're starting small. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, but I mean, we're, we're only looking to hopefully do maybe 20 to 25-ish casks in 2021. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, getting, getting stock nailed down for the next couple of releases, I'm quite excited about. Um, trying to get some new samples there's allegedly more samples coming and it's it's like it was always nice getting samples when I worked for other companies but it's much more exciting now it's, yeah. it's a bit more daunting yeah. when you get a sample and you're like if I pull the trigger on this that's that's our money <laughs> yep you know um, <laughs> but but, mm, it's, um, but it, it's just going to be well what I really, really would like to see is be in a bar and see people drinking our whiskey without us having to buy it for them. <laughs> um, we might need to wait a while for you, that. You, you know, but like, you know, or just, you know, like to see, I mean, we've been, we've been very lucky with people showing their bottles on, on Facebook and social media and stuff and that's been great. But just to over, like, have someone ordering one of your drums in a bar when you're there but you're not they're not buying it because you're there if that makes sense <laughs> so, yeah. so what was the bar that you did see people did you see them drinking it or you were drinking it with them uh, well no it was I was in the Highlander Inn in Kregelty oh okay I was up um, pre one of the lockdowns um, it was over the summer I so, think when everything was a bit more relaxed Um <laughs> And it was ju- it was the day before things went back into lockdown again. Yeah, it was. And I was up delivering my mum home from Campbelltown. Um, so I took her home Campbell- and went to the Highlander with my mates because the Highlander was opening. And I was like, having a few drams or whatever. And we'd given... Um, there's bars in Scotland called the um, Independent Bars of Scotland. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, so we gave each of them... A bottle of our crowdfunding, mm. um, the Orkney. Uh, so we, like this COVID situation sucks. Uh, it's tiny bit of support, but here's a bottle. Nice. Sell it by the dram, um, you know, and keep all the money. That was when the bars were allowed to be open. Yeah, right. Either not. Yeah. So, well, and, and the day after they all arrived, the bars have haven't opened since. Yes. <laughs> um, so we were in there, and then uh, Tatsuya came down. And was on his, ah, and he went upstairs, got the bottle, 
and poured me and my mate and himself a drama of our own. Wonderful, just, wonderful. Like, it was a shame you weren't there, mm. but it was just for so fitting. You know, Highlander Inn, where I learned to drink. You know, I've been going to that pub since I was eight years old. Wow. And not it, drinking at wow. eight years old. <laughs> no, not, not drinking. <laughs> Hashtag. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, like, well, my big brother's 10 years older than me. So, like, he was 18, I was eight. So, like, you'd pick me up from Sunday school and then we'd go for a pint. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so I've been going there for a long time. And, you know, when I first got into whiskey, he was drinking in there a lot. And, you know, so for, to, for me to have the first dram of our whiskey that I haven't poured myself... Yeah, in that bar. In that bar from Tatsuya. That's um, special, man. That was, yep. that was yep. really yeah. special. Um, that's wonderful. Oh, I think yeah. that's a, a perfect place to, to stop. Not that I like stopping, but it's a perfect spot. <laughs> Thanks again to Kate and Mark for making time for us over Zoom. Indeed. And boy, I tell you, we were blessed with good Campbelltown internet that night. <laughs> that was a virtually flawless conversation, which the very first time we interviewed Mark, we were not blessed with the same quality of internet. But it was also several years ago and it was during the day. So I think evening interview helped us out this time. Well, I, I think, too, that the, the entire country of Scotland recognized that Dufton's uh, first child to be on the Internet was once again on the Internet again. And it made, it made a mistake giving, uh, giving him poor service for our fourth episode and, and decided to make up for lost time. This time around. It, it was like a parting of the internet waves, if you could imagine <laughs> such a thing. Um, I, I will also add, yeah. it's amazing what happens when you when you give Kate Watt her own mic. It's amazing what you learn from her. We we made that error in January of 2020 mm -hmm. when we had that wonderful takeover episode with Mark and Jess and Kate. This was a very different experience. With the wonderful Kate Watts. Well, now, and now that we was, know. It was just such a treat. Listen, now we know. We still just take the one mic, but we give it to Kate instead of Mark. It's very simple. <laughs> <laughs> Mark might sign off on that. He's, he's a good <laughs> lad. He's a very good lad. So, so with our interview in the books, yep. we should probably wake up the paper boy. History, history, read all about it, life story, a playboy I know we got a, a bit of news. Would you like to present or shall I present? Well, I was hoping that I could introduce the segment so that I could hand it off to you. Oh, gosh, look at that. All right. Oh, did you just hand it off to me? Is that what just happened right now? Okay. I just handed it off to you. <laughs> We're playing a little game of hot potato <laughs> with the news right now. <laughs> right. Uh, well, you know, I say we get the most difficult news out of the way first, right? This past week, you and I, the, the day before Inauguration Day, and, and we're not even that smart to, to do this, but the day before uh, Inauguration Day here in the U.S., we launched a 46-year-old whiskey. And uh, it was a 46-year-old from Invergordon. 
153 bottles. About 300 bucks a piece, 295 I think was the number. And it sold out in two minutes. Which it did. Which it did. yes, right? And and now I don't, I don't want to focus on us being surprised about this because I mean, the fact of the matter is we were in fact surprised that people would be clamoring for single grain Scotch whiskey, a, a category that has been neglected for nigh on many decades, but it's happened. And rather than us focus on our surprise of this new development, what you and I did immediately is we reached out to our brokers and said, what do you have in older grain that is going to give us some more bottles, a.k.a. sherry butts, and also bourbon hogsheads, right? Maybe we could get a couple <laughs> yeah, that's bourbon. That's the thing. Yeah, even hoggies would be a good start. Right, and if we had to, marry them together. So just as we did those two or three years ago, or maybe even four years ago now, when we discovered we had to start putting uh, wild turkey on lottery, right? We sold out whiskey very quickly, and we came up with a solution. We will continue doing that for the bourbons and for the rise when we release those. But what we're aiming to do, and because we can do this with Scottish whiskeys a bit more easily than we can with American whiskeys, is we're going to start looking for larger casks or sister casks that, if married together, are greater than the sum of their parts to try to meet the the ever-growing demand of our whiskeys. Yeah, and for those who are not in the U.S. who are listening to you talking about this release yeah. the day before Inauguration mm-hmm. Day, it was a 46-year-old crane that we launched the day before the inauguration of the United States' 46th president. And it was purely a coincidence. We're not going to try and claim any level <laughs> of you know, being smart. Um the, the election was only November 3rd. We could not have worked out how to get the 46th whiskey <laughs> here uh, for the 46th president. But the other, the other thing that comes to mind as you talk about inauguration and you talk about presidents and you talk about lotteries being fair mm. but being uh, a pain in the derriere, it was John F. Kennedy mm-hmm. who said, nothing worth doing is ever easy. And the one thing that we do by and for members of our nation is we do the right thing. Correct. And in this case, for any any future cask uh, under 200 bottles, it will be lottery, regardless of its origin. And, and that'll be a big step forward. But importantly, as you rightly say, Joshua, it's looking for larger casks or combinations of casks And another thing, and I know we've been talking about the Cask Pick program, is one of the goals and aspirations for me with that program Mm -hmm. is getting single cask exclusives into retail stores where some of the excitement that surrounds single cask nation picks can be passed on to retailers. And... And those consumers, those nation members, those beloved fans of the nation will have many opportunities to pull wonderful single casks 
at wonderful prices from retailers. That's going to be important moving forward so that it's not all moving through the single online channel. Mm -hmm. That's very good. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, what else do we have? I know I've got one thing in mind. There was, I know you had. Some Let me things. just throw yeah, this in ahead. real quick. Yeah. yeah, yeah, real quick before I before I send it back over to you. As we are talking about this forty-six-year-old grain, on the stroke of noon, four hundred people put one hundred and fifty bottles into their carts, and so Single Cast Nation Online is moving so quickly, so very quickly. But as we've encouraged people to sign up, wherever you are on the globe, we've encouraged you to sign up for the State of the Nation. And in the January State of the Nation, we posted a photo of samples of our first Kilhoman and our first Aaron. Mm -hmm. and, and we put in a note that said, this four-year-old Kilhoman single cask <laughs> that was $95 a bottle took 22 months to sell out. That's crazy. And so in the course of 10 years, because we've, we've said it early and we're going to say it often, and I'm so proud of this statement, we are in our 10th anniversary year of Single Cast Nation. Mazel tov. In those, in mazel indeed, in those 10 years, look at that. We've gone from selling a four-year-old $95 Colhoman over 22 months to selling a 46-year-old $300 grain in two minutes. Like, and, and I know for people who come to the nation now or recently or in the last couple of years, you and I, and, and we didn't want to belabor the point of being surprised, but every time is getting used to the new normal for us. Yeah. It was bourbon. Well, that makes sense. Bourbon's kind of crazy right now. It's Aaron. Uh, that doesn't make sense, but brilliant. Our nation is absolutely wonderful. It's a 46-year-old grain. Okay, we've been talking about <laughs> the powers of old grain and how affordable they are. Oh, okay. And, mm -hmm. and it's milk and honey. It's an Israeli single malt, which when these next casks come in, mm -hmm. we're looking at smaller outturns because their angel share is so high. So high. You know, given that we've sold those out in two minutes and four minutes, I'm guessing, you know, the, the milk and honey is going to be on lottery. So... Please, please understand that when we talk about this new normal, there, there is still a bit of getting used to this because we had so many years of being patient and having turnarounds and having pre-sales and oh, it's exciting, but it's a lot for us to get our head around. And for those of you that, you know, have, have frustrations and share frustrations that will put whiskeys online and they, they sell out lickety split. I think it's very important to remember that our cask selection process for the whiskeys we put online is the very same process for the whiskeys we put in retail. That's a fantastic point. Right? So you're not buying a lesser product from the whiskeys that you'll find in, you know, in your, your local retailer. 
It's just different products. It's different casks. And you can go to winesearcher.com or some of these other websites, and you will find many of our whiskeys still sitting on store shelves. Look around. You'll find some that can maybe ship to your location. And with this in mind, it, it, I, I want to bring in the, the next bit of news, which is uh, our, our next retail releases. Yep, absolutely. So we've just solidified our third release for UK, Europe, rest of the world. And by solidified, we mean it exists on paper. It, right, it exists on paper, meaning we will get it into the bottling schedule and, and it'll soon be released. But right now, all of the whiskey is in our cask, sitting in our warehouse at the bottling hall. That's where it sits. But we know what we're bottling. We know what's going to be out. We'll be sharing that shortly. Mm -hmm. And then as far as the U.S. retail release goes, as, as we mentioned uh, in a previous episode, we brought in sort of a, a half release just really just, just at the very beginning of, of 2021. Uh, and there was two bottlings, a 27-year-old Strathclyde single grain and, uh, and then a... 11-year-old Tianinic. And that we called release 6.5, right? Because it, it was a short uh, or a smaller release. And we are... Well, and, yeah. and it included a couple of store exclusives for those who want to, to go... And I say a couple of store exclusives. There was a, a store exclusive, Roma to Canard More, mm -hmm. which I think we said in the last podcast, we're going to be placing our order for those bottles. Mm -hmm. And as consumers, and there was a distributor exclusive in California. Correct. And then just a few weeks before that, there was another Connecticut shop exclusive. So that it, you know, when we think about releases, we think of five to six casks all coming in at the same time, all for a singular purpose, where you're right. This was a slightly larger release. It was just rather than a rifle shot, more of a, a shotgun spray if you will. Uh, There's an interesting image. Well, you're welcome. So what I want to say is we are circling in on what will be our seventh release for the U.S. We're just trying to fill a couple holes, but it, we're looking at about six casks of really lovely whiskey and maybe even a, a cheeky wee rum in there as well. So uh, it's, it's going to be exciting. I'm really excited for, the, for what we have in our warehouse now. Is just putting it together and bringing it in. Yeah, the the thing, I, I would say the reality for us here is we don't want to bring in whiskey the day before the tariffs end. But on the flip side, we don't want to be caught short not bringing in any whiskey when the tariffs continue to exist. Yeah. And so there was a little bit of, okay, November 3rd, there was a little bit of, okay, January 20, November 3rd was the election, January 20 was the inauguration. And now there's, you know, we just had an email the other day from the Scotch Whiskey Association saying it looks like the tariffs might be with us, best case scenario, until March. Mm -hmm. And so that gives us that sense of, okay, we're, we're just going to press ahead and bring in the bottles, but know that the 25% tariffs are doing damage. There is no doubt about that. Yeah, I, you know, I was really encouraged just a little bit before Christmas time last year, there was a letter that came out from the SWA that said, 
it looks as if there may be a fix to this tariff situation before the end of 2020. And unfortunately, the, the previous administration just punted the decision down the road, as you would expect any administration. I'm not, I'm not trying to get political here, but this is what happens when you have administration changes. Decisions can and do often get punted. So, so here we are, and like you had said, potentially we'll see them go away in March. We'll see. Are we going to wait to release these until March? Well, who knows? It takes two months on water to bring the whiskeys over. We'll, I think we're going to just take a chance and hope for the best. Yeah. So let's get out of here on some really, really wonderful news. Uh, by the time this episode goes live, our 24-year-old Kentucky Straight Bourbon will have been shipping for a couple of weeks. And, and for those who have been so patient since uh, early November, early to mid-November when the sale happened... I have loved sending out the updates, letting those buyers know what the process had looked like. We have shared photos of our delivery van being filled. We have we have shown uh, whiskey and donuts submitted a great oh photo gosh, the other day yeah. of the bottle. Mm-hmm. Our bottling hall submitted photos to us both of the bottle as a finished product and on the bottling line, uh, which was wonderful. Our shipper has been sharing photos Mm -hmm. of what some of the materials have looked like. It has been a ton of fun. And and you and I said when we launched that bourbon, we were kind of launching this as a little bit of a a Kickstarter looking thing. Mm -hmm. And, And I know in participating in Kickstarters, I've always loved the updates. I've always loved the little peek behind the curtain. I've always loved, you know, and I know it flies in the face of the well-known saying, but I've always loved seeing the sausage being made, you know? And yeah. and the fact that we're, we're trying to ship uh, just under 1,200 because we know there was a little bit of breakage in transit, but shipping almost 1,200 bottles is a, is a timely endeavor. And so we continue to update those bourbon purchasers. Mm-hmm. If you are one of our people out in the rest of the world, you if you're in Sweden, if you're in Germany, uh, soon to be if you're in Israel, if you're soon to be if you're in Japan, mm-hmm. you'll actually see some of these on store shelves. And, and please, Joshua, take the birch to me. The UK has been selling this for for four weeks. For four weeks. Almost four weeks. And as soon as the shops put them online, they sell out immediately. Just Boom, like that. gone. Yep. Yeah, the response to this project has been absolutely brilliant. And, and, um, and, you know, there have been many bloggers out there who've been posting their notes on it, giving it incredible scores. We're really grateful. We've been proud of the selection. We're just happy that that reviewers uh, see in this whiskey what we saw in the whiskey. It's just damn fine, man. Yeah, and, uh, and as always, just as I'm talking about updates and peaks behind the curtain and seeing how the sausage is made, you know, with our dear listeners listening to this conversation uh, in their ears, uh, in their shell-like things on the side of their heads, I, I'm I'm willing to go on record if I haven't already, and I might have already, but this is one of those releases 
where you firmly believed in the power of this release. Yes. And, yes. and I, I, I'm quite proud of my role in the company. I am COO, I, you know, I'm chief operating officer here. I like putting on my nervous Nelly pants. <laughs> uh, and I like, I like being able to say to you, are you sure? Are you sure? And putting together 1,500 bottles of this was a moment when I got to say to you, are you sure? And you you absolutely did. You firmly, firmly believed in it. And, and as we've done in the, in the history of our company, I've, I've put my faith in you plenty of times. This was one of those times, and if, <laughs> to speak candidly, if this had gone wrong, this would have been a very expensive mistake that could have set us back. Oh, a couple of years, a big time. A few years. Now, if, okay. It, it w- listen, 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 listen. It would have set us back. I don't know if it set us back for years, but it would have into the dark ages. Yeah, I think, I think you're. I think you're being a bit dramatic now, but but I, I want to be very clear. Yeah. yeah, I was shaking in my boots. There's no doubt about it. Mm. Like. I believed in the whiskey. I thought that the whiskey was drop dead gorgeous, and I thought other people would would, would see that in it as well. However, uh, we've never sold a bourbon for that price. Uh, it was below fifty percent alcohol, which for many bourbon nerds, that's that's a bad place to be in, right? You want to be bib uh, at least, and and this wasn't that, and so. That had me a bit nervous, but I said, I think the price is really good. And Mo did an amazing job with the label. She did, um, 100%. And, uh, and, and, and you know what? I said, our, our nation members have been supporting us. And, and I believe in our nation members. Do, not saying this, that I, that I or we take them for granted. We definitely do not. But I, I thinking of how they buy... I thought that this would just work for them. Well, and and when you say faith in the nation members, we're talking global now. Correct. And we're talking about the responsibility that Jess undertook here to take on 300 of these for her markets. Mm -hmm. And, And she believed in this going to Sweden. And she believed in this going to Germany. And she believed in this, you know, you know, doing well in the UK. And so we really are, and, and this is a wonderful development that I'm thoroughly enjoying, is all three of us firmly believe in the strength of the global nation. Correct. And Correct. Yep. Gosh, what a what a place to be that is. And and I know we've got wonderful listeners in Australia and, and New Zealand and Denmark and Spain and and you know Taiwan and Singapore and further afield Canada for crying out loud. <laughs> we want to come and see you in those markets as well, but please be patient. We we continue to expand and gosh is is Jess doing just terrific work uh, in that regard. So there you go. It's such an exciting time. And, and I, you know, and, and listening, I said this earlier in the episode, and listening back to our end of year, I, I can hear how our conversations come across in podcast. And I know right now my enthusiasm and my excitement 
is coming across in this podcast for this this global expansion of of our brand. It's remarkable. Unbelievable. If I weren't equally excited, Jason, I'd tell you to calm the fuck down. So here we I was going to say, you, you, you seem a little <laughs> lo-fi, but that's, that's just how Joshua uh, rolls. So. Yeah, yeah. And listen, we're not going to do an email today. We are one mere episode away from our mailbag episode. And we are going to, to jump into that with both feet. That's a really good point. And so this episode drops on... On the 27th of January, which means if you're listening to this episode, you have three more days to get a question in to, for our mailbag episode. So send us a question, questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com. That's how you'll email us. You can send us a message through Facebook. Just you know, search for One Nation Under Whiskey. You can even search for Single Cast Nation and ask us a question there. We'll... You know, we'll tend to questions there as well. Um, you can always tweet at us, at One Nation Whiskey, and then you can send us uh, questions via Instagram, like like a few people do. And we are at One Nation Under Whiskey. And as always, Jason, is there an E in whiskey? Never, Joshua. Never, never. never ever. Um, I will say there is an E in February, and in an earlier episode, we gave the wrong date for the, oh. the dropping of the mailbag oh, episode. Gosh. And so just to, yes. just to clarify, just to clarify, <laughs> it will be dropping on February 10, which is my eldest's birthday. He will be one year away from getting his driver's permit, which he talks about every single day. And then I am equally excited to say... We will be kicking off season five on February 24, mm-hmm. and we have already conducted the interview with somebody we've been trying to get on the podcast for all four seasons. <laughs> and the stars finally aligned. We finally got them sat down, mm-hmm. and we got them on wax. And so February 20, I'm clearly not going to reveal who it is, but on February 24, we will kick off the fifth season of One Nation Under Whiskey with somebody that we were very, very happy to be talking with. Oh my gosh, I, <laughs> you know, before you said that I, I was uh, a bit too relaxed, maybe a bit too calm. And now <laughs> just thinking about who this person is and the fact that I, I feel as if, we could easily spend another four to five hours with this person uh, and and, and still not get all of our questions answered. Anyway, I think that is the perfect place to end, to let our listeners go. Jason, to let you go, to let me go. I thank you as always. And you know what? After this, let's grab a little dram. (laughs) Should we grab that dram by the click clip? (laughs) dick dick yeah where's my uh ah here we go all right before we get out of here good friend of the podcast vadim parlovsky yes reached out to say he now says click clip in polite society and has people looking at Uh, him (laughs) like he has grown a second head I just feel bad for the people listening to this podcast who didn't listen to the wives episode. We're like, why are they saying click clit and why am I offended? 
listen to the wives episode. It was the Halloween, uh, sorry, the Thanksgiving episode. And you'll understand why the term click clit is coming into play here. Click clit, Jason. Dick dick. <laughs>